Bandwagon Nerds is taped in front of a live studio audience. Again, fellow basement dwellers, this is your good friend Patrick O'Dowd welcoming you into another edition of Bandwagon Nerds here on the Chairshot Radio Network, a part of the Chairshot.com, where we encourage you to always use your head. The Chairshot.com, always use your head. And we have an exciting show for you today. It is February. It is what I like to refer to as the dead season in entertainment because we are in awards season. We're starting to get all of the nominations for various shows, uh, movies, whatnot, Golden Globes, the Oscars, the BAFTAs, the SAG Awards, all of that. And basically that means that studios kind of take a hiatus, uh, sit back and relax and do nothing, which means not a lot of news. And when there's not a lot of news in the nerdosphere, then that means that it is project time on the bandwagon and in this week we continue our long-standing yearly tradition of covering a decade in entertainment we are beginning the aught project that's right the 2000 to 2009 decade of entertainment our top 10 movies and we do seven categories this week's category will be sci-fi and fantasy films the 10 best sci-fi and fantasy films of 2000 to 2009. Now, of course, I do not do this alone. We have a full bandwagon today, although we are we are sans one David Ungar for a change. He, uh, he apparently decided that celebrating Mrs. Ungar's birthday a couple of days late at Disneyland was more appropriate. And so I, I don't know. I feel like we found a suitable replacement as returning for his second engagement on the bandwagon. We have the violent gentleman himself, Mr. Aesop Mitchell. Sir, welcome back to the bandwagon. I'm excited to have you this time to to, to banter. Thank you for having me. I'm glad uh, we could replace one Dave with another and uh, hopefully the far superior in the long run. Uh, you know, that is shots fired. Wow. I, I have to. He uh, he criticized a lot of things, uh, you know, like you know how Spider-Man: Far From Home isn't the best Spider-Man film, but you know whatever. Oh, see, look at that! I I, uh, I I I'm digging it. It's not the best Spider-Man film, by the way. It's, it's don't, tough. Don't start this. Don't start that. But not, 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 not it's number three. It's not even top two. 
Into the Spider-Verse is the greatest Spider-Man movie ever made. Absolutely. Thank you. Followed by Spider-Man 2. That's, 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 let's not do this. this Thank is way you. Way too early see, in the show. See, this is great. This is, this is the so type I, of atmosphere that I, I love. We should have Patrick I, on more often. <laughs> <laughs> now, here, here's the real question uh, for you: uh, Which film is better, uh, The Last Jedi or The Rise of Skywalker? Oh dear Jesus! Um, <laughs> I mean, really, at that point, it's which one's worse? Uh, which is Patrick the least loves you already. Die? Yeah, yeah. I, I, look, just for the sheer fact that Laura Dern just absolutely nothing in that film, uh, Rise of Skywalker is the better. Oh, you have failed. Oh, you were doing Good so man. well. They, they waste Laura Dern in that movie. They waste her. So what did she do? They, they, they do something with the mythology in that, um, in that movie, as opposed to the Rise of Skywalker, which is just gratuitous and stupid and has horses yeah. on a spaceship. Horses on a spaceship! Yes, it, it's all bad. I, I look. I'm not saying by any stretch of the imagination that it's good. Uh, it's just which one do I despise more? And for the sheer fact that Laura Dern sucks, that's where that's why uh, uh, Last Jedi kind of falls short. My my uh, my Star Wars hills to die on are never ending, uh, as the book of Boba Fett also extremely problematic. That other voice, by the way, that you heard is the most popular man on the podcast, Mr. Raymond S. Cashington the Third Esquire. How are you? Oh man! Oh, they're already started. This is unconscionable. You know, I, I try to I try to rein them in, and it just it just doesn't happen. Uh, Tisk tisk, Ray. Welcome, welcome back after a week off. Thank you, sir. Popularity is in the eye of the beholder, apparently. Um, just, you're just not that well liked. I can't, I can't help it. Hey, man, what can you do? You know, it, you know what? It's like history month, so y'all shouldn't boo me for the whole damn month, okay? As for playing the race card, sir. What can you do? Eight tweets can be sent to at wrestling realist. That is at W R E S T L N G R E A L I S T. Uh, to quote Tom Cruise, I love black people. Anyway, we are also. <laughs> to quote almost every white person. <laughs> I have black friends. I do. I have like two. Uh, both of them are in different parts of the country, too. It's it's messed up. We are also, of course, joined by the silent majority of the podcast, Mr. <laughs> PC Tunney, the live studio audience. You're just taking it all in so far today, huh? Is, that, are, is that what we're doing? Today? You guys are very entertaining. We are very, very entertaining. So here's what's going to happen today. We are, of course, going to cover, I guess, Tony and I, unless, uh, Saab, did you, have you been watching The Witcher or no? I haven't. I, I am saving myself for more or less a completed series. That's normally gotcha. how I tend to take in these things. Fair enough. Ray, I know you started. I can't imagine you've caught up. No, I have not. But, uh, hey, but strategy that is the book of Boba Fett. Uh, I, and I did catch up on that, yes. So if you want to talk that, I'm, I'm here for you. I'm here for it. Uh, I mean, no, but that's okay. I, I'm gonna, <laughs> I, still, I, still have, I still have to write a Scorched Earth review of episode six. And kids, when I write this review, like, just ignore me if you like the show, because I hate this show officially. Well, how uh, about you just give the Scorch Earth review here and then do The Witcher next week when Dave is back so y'all can all talk about it? No, because um, okay. that's the show. <laughs> I tried. Uh, I, I appreciate the uh, effort. Tony, how are you, man? Like, um, 
I'm are, good. Are you doing this, okay? is, this is easy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just sitting it is. Here. I mean, ask me a question. Tony Tony, like Tony Hoodie Mello, is a very special version. Right. Like, Tony has very many different versions. It's like a, a Pokemon and how they evolve. No, I'm They're not. Hoodie Tony right now. like a Pokemon. Shout, shout out to Pokemon. I do not shout out to Pokemon. What the hell? I do not. So I I, uh, I don't understand Pokemon. I've tried uh, the little Odoud um, has you know he 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 was into it for a little bit, but that's about as far as I got. Anyway, so we're gonna cover the final episode of season two of The Witcher, which was by far the best episode of season two in my opinion. Uh, we will take a brief commercial break and cover some news around the Nerdosphere before we dive into the Ott Project, which anybody who's listened to these shows know that that means you're in for a marathon of an episode on the bandwagon. These tend to run long, but in a good way. Lots of fun. Hopefully, we will uh, keep you entertained for however long we go and piss off Greg DeMarco, which is really what we're here to do, right, on the bandwagon, is just make Greg DeMarco mad. Get the get the. Yep, I've seen some nods. I've seen some All nods. four of us are showrunners, so technically we do this on a on a weekly basis. Yeah, I was so. like, I was like the, commi- the commissioner who like has like twenty shows. That he's running. How, how many irons in the fire do you have these days, buddy? As he takes a pull. From... It's it's plural. It's plural. <laughs> <laughs> There's quite a few. So, and kudos to you, by the way, on taking on the monumental three and a half year task of going over every Seinfeld, Seinfeld episode ever, like tip of the cap. Yeah, can't, well, we only <laughs> we got one in a row so far, so, you know, knock on wood. I mean, you've guaranteed yourself content, though, and that's always important. Content. Yeah, I just, man, I just hope key. it stays uh, on Netflix for the next three and a half years. Yeah, well, it might move over to the cock, you never know. Well, that's fine, too. There you go. So, all right, enough of that. That's enough setup. We are going to, I guess, now just take a moment and toss our coins. Toss a coin to your witcher, oh, valley of plenty, oh, valley of plenty, oh. Toss a coin to your witcher, oh, valley of plenty. Oh, I said I wasn't going to talk about it, and now I'm going to talk about it. <laughs> Everything that I love about The Witcher is what I wish the book of Boba Fett would have done. And here's what I mean by that. The Witcher has all these threads that are spread out all over the place. Ultimately, they come back to one theme that is relevant to the story they are telling, and that is Siri as this unifying entity that everybody wants to get their hands on to either corrupt or be the savior of, of the land. And my this is where my complaint about the Book of Boba Fett has come in, is the extraneous threads in the Book of Boba Fett don't necessarily have anything to do with the story they are telling in the book of both this episode episode eight brought it all together tony whether you you're hanging your head on me and i get it you love it you love the other show everything came together at the at the end of this season we we learn every single kingdom that we've been following in the witcher 
wants Siri for their own purposes, and they all are looking for different ways to are, are talking about what they're going to do and how they're going to manipulate and get to her. And you know, we've we follow this. You Galan, know, this, digital oh, toaster shit. easily. Thank you, automatic ad. Um, for IMDb as I try to bring up casts so I don't forget names. Um, you know, we, we're, we're given this big battle within the Witcher stronghold where uh, the the one goddess, whatever that you call her, the one that, um, you know, thrives on pain, she has possessed Siri. Siri is systematically, as, as a possessed uh, person, murdering every Witcher trying to destroy them and it's not until Geralt kind of runs her down that they um, they then lead into this big battle where they destroy the tree that's hanging all the witchers um, old tokens and you learn behind it there's a portal to these other word worlds and this goddess gates in uh, a couple of monsters as she continues to try and pull power we are eventually um, saved when Yennefer sacrifices herself um, as a vessel for the goddess to occupy until they can basically banish her back to her own her own world, dimension, whatever you want to call it. And it's the first time that we get uh, the use of the phrase the wild hunt being kicked off. Now, I'm going to own, and I don't know if anybody else has ever knows anything about Witcher lore, so I'm actually going to turn this over because I see, I see you nodding. I don't understand what the wild hunt is. I know people have gotten really excited about it uh, because I mean, it's literally the title of one of the games is like, I think the third Witcher game is called the wild hunt. So I'm going to start. What is the wild hunt? As far as you know, in, in like the games or or in the lore that that you're familiar with, because I don't know, but I know that's what they're setting up for season three. Yeah. uh, The wild hunt is more or less just like a group of uh, like ghostly figures that, more or less just parade through the sky and uh they're pretty much they're uh they're like signal bearers for the approaching apocalypse uh, uh war uh in the witcher lore and world and uh uh really it's it's quite key to that that third series game um and obviously right they wouldn't make reference of it in the witcher if it wasn't you know something of worth of note um and this is this is one reason why I kind of held back uh, with the Witcher series itself because of the fact that the first two games, and I said this the last time I was on the first two games in the Witcher are not, they're, they're fine. They're nothing spec special. Right. And then once Witcher three wild hunt came out, it turned into a completely different entity. And that's when the popularity of the Witcher grew and you got a lot of, uh, you know, awards and accolades for the game itself. And everyone knew that this Witcher series would be leading up to some form of wild hunt. And uh, this is one reason why I've kind of held back because I want to get that, that first book done, if you would. Right. And when, when that finally wraps up, that's when I'll kind of take in the Witcher and uh, view it as a collective entity rather than, you know, individual seasons. Cool. Yeah, thank you for that. Because honest to God, like I knew it was a big deal. And in, in the series, they show um, 
Siri, Yennefer, and Geralt get pulled into this other, what they call it a world or a demand, like literally I think they call it like a planet. Uh, And there is this, there's just this line of things on horseback and this, the spirit of like the, the one, the original. I think they called it another sphere. Right. That's right. Um, And they're sitting there talking to Siri about joining their wild hunt. So they want Siri for the purposes of the apocalypse. We also yeah. learn, El- yeah. And then the elves, we learn, we follow the elves who have um, been goaded into breaking away uh, from Fringilla and Nilfgaard it, after the after the murder of the the hope of the of the first elven child born in, in generations. They learn that Siri is. Are, and they believe is a, a one prophesized with her elder blood to help elves rise back to prominence and, and kind of reclaim their world. And we get the the huge revelation because it's we're led to believe that Frangilla is the one that had this elven child bo- uh, murdered so that the elves would then turn on a neighboring nation and basically go rogue on their own. But we find that Siri's father is still alive and that he's the one who's actually the one who ordered the death of the child. And Kahir and Pranjila are stunned to learn that, you know, he of course wants his daughter back. Uh, so the, it was a, I thought it was a great season finale in terms of it just set up so much for season three some of it I don't even understand. I, I look forward to seeing if they continue to explain the wild hunt later um, come season three because they, they, they reference it twice and it's like, oh shit, we got to get ready. And we we end the season with Geralt, Yennefer, and Siri setting out because they know they're hunted by everyone. Yeah, who yeah. Thinks. yeah think of yeah, it. Think, uh, think of the wild hunt uh, as like the spectral force and if you needed something to equate it to, it's kind of like the Witch King and the Nazgul's in uh, oh. Lord of the Rings. I mean, I mean, more or less, they're just corrupted elves that become raids. Uh, so that, that's no idea what you're talking about because he he's he's quit on Lord of the Rings like eight times. <laughs> I think uh, many people have, and you know, if you can't necessarily digest it, I completely understand. Tony, you watched the episode. You you uh you kind of did a a little sort of side shake when I said it was my favorite of of the season. Is that because you preferred seven over eight, um, or, or what was going on there? No, I, I it's up there. I don't know. I, it's hard for me to decipher. It just made me think if that was. I never really thought about it to be honest with you. I did enjoy the the finale of of this season. It obviously does a great job of setting up for next season and knowing exactly what you're going to be expecting going in. I think. Um, Yennefer also has her powers back as a result of sacrificing and becoming that vessel, which in, you know, Geralt doesn't pretty much come out and say it, but basically they've come to terms as in, you know what, we're now we're on the same side. We have the same goal. There's no longer a love interest here. Our job is to be the protectors of this unbelievable source. Like Geralt and Ciri are no longer going to be this like father daughter kind of thing. It's basically going to be this entity and their, and her two protectors moving forward. That's kind of how I feel about it. I think that's an interesting, it's an interesting dynamic shift in more than one relationship within the same, you know, thing. I give Unifer and Girl three episodes before they're fucking again. I don't think so. 
<laughs> no, I, well, see, I, I, I always joke. I don't know if it's a joke, but I always say this about the second phase of Marvel, and I see some parallels to this second season. The second phase of Marvel had a lot of movies that were surrounding surrounded the idea of family and specifically fatherhood, and like father figures like if you look at like guardians 2 father figure iron man all of the daddy issues with iron man and, and Geralt, all of the daddy issues all of the daddy <laughs> issues um and Geralt is very much wrestling with that throughout season two and at the end tony you know it's it's interesting they're a trio and yeah the dynamic of the relationship is is maybe shifted more to a mentorship and a training sort of thing yet it's all it is in its own way a family Right. Like in a sense, because they're both protectors and trainers for Siri to teach her how and to and how, how to use her powers, because Jennifer is the only one it's, who's been able to discipline Siri and her power, too. Right. It's more like a older sibling or, or cousin or, or uncle or, you know, someone like that, someone more of a mentorship, but not the father daughter relationship anymore. Right. And not obviously equating that to Yennefer and Geralt being involved and looking at them as being together as Siri could pick them as the, her parents, you know, see herself like that. Um, I thought it was really cool to watch that, that the major action sequence when they're trying to get the witch out of Siri and the tree and everything is happening there. And in Siri's head, the witch has trapped her into the, the life she had always wanted with her family, this chance that she had wanted to go back and make things right again. And she didn't want to leave. Right. And that, that could have been a really interesting thing. It's it's fun though how it, they 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 made things happen. They they got to the right ending. And you talk about me not liking this season because the the scope has been broadened. It's probably going to get even broader now next year. This is the grandiose thing, and and I think the struggle between the three of them is who to, who they're going to help and what are they going to be the the effects, um, the the pros and cons of helping who they you know one thinks is right, one thinks is wrong. It's. I'm glad you mentioned that dream sequence. Uh, it it brought to me back visions of one of my movies from the '80s project that I covered. When she is in this like dream world, dancing at a ball and is happy, it reminded me of the Jim Henson movie Labyrinth, uh, where she is put away in the in the land of junk, and to keep her in the land of junk, they give her this illusion that she is in an idyllic. Um, environment uh, at a costume ball that then later turns into her bedroom uh and the lie is constructed and it's supposed to be constructed in a way for her to want to stay and you know and of course and in both instances it fails um and so it was just a fun parallel you know it was a fun parallel it was a good parallel uh and showed series strength of will and and Geralt's influence oh over her as a father figure to be able to pull her from that to help her to, to help her escape that I thought was, was great. So I was pleased as punch with the way that this, um, this season ended. And, um, you know, I can't wait for two years from now when Netflix finally gets around to putting out season three, because we all <laughs> Netflix well, likes to take sweet ass time. You know, yeah, but isn't that better? Isn't that better that way? Sorry, go ahead, Johnny. I, they're, uh, they're kind of trying to take a page out of what everybody else is doing though because i think in the meantime they said they offered you the yeah. trailer for the beginning what was it blood and a vessel or something or blood and blood and origin or blood something and origin. like that yeah blood origin 
Blood Origin. That's what it was. The, I'm uh, guessing it's we're going to prequel. It's a yeah. prequel series. Yeah. We should get the answer as to why Siri, um, you know, her, you know, has what el- what is elder blood? Especially, I mean, I, I would imagine that's right, kind of the thing. The elves. Right. Was, I mean, they showed us a, a group of elves on the on the run. So, yeah, there was a, and that was a good trailer. I, you know, I honestly got it completely forgot about it. The, the challenge I always have with Netflix, though, is that sometimes the gap is uh, is so much that I have to go like rewatch the series to be like caught up. I had to do that with Ted Lasso too. Like I had to like when season two of Ted Lasso came out, I had to rewatch season one. Which wasn't what a bad thing. Oh, he's like through. Patrick's like, oh boy, it's season two of Ted Lasso. He's like, okay, all right, that's right. He's an American and he used to be a football coach and he went to London and now he's a soccer. Okay, I remember. And he had a kid. All right, all right. I forgot all this. And you just you get that for that's for being a dick. So. Yeah, it doesn't bother me. Really though, is it is it all that bad to have to go back and watch Ted Lasso because it's no, an no, amazing no. show? I don't have any issues with that. I, I'm proud that I finally got all four primary members on the bandwagon uh, that are usually on the show to finally watch the show. Tony was first, followed followed by Ray Cashington, and then Dave just got on the lawyer. Dave, that is, just got on board. Uh, not too long ago. I haven't heard his thoughts on it. He hasn't really talked about it, but uh, he has checked it out. I mean, you right. can't hate it. You can't hate it. No, no. So that closes the book on The Witcher. We're going to hold off on covering shows until Moon Knight comes around in March uh, and focus on our art project in the meantime. Believe me, that will take up plenty of time on the bandwagon. We're going to take our first commercial break, and then we are going to cover a few things uh, from around the Nerdosphere, a little bit of news around the Nerdosphere. Uh, you are listening to Bandwagon Nerds on the ChairShot Radio Network, a part of the ChairShot.com. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Hey folks, PC Tony here. Thanks to our new partnership with Angry Lemonade, you can save 10% on physical products and digital commissions using the promo code CHAIRSHOT. Head to angrylemonade.net to check out their amazing catalog of products and services. Use the promo code CHAIRSHOT to save 10%. That's angrylemonade.net. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. All right. Welcome back, everyone. And it is now time for news around the Nerdosphere with no music because we don't have post-production this week because Dave chose the mouse over us. You could, I'm insulted. You could just send it to him and he could, you know. But then, like, who knows when he's going to get back? He's got to do, like, California Adventure or something like I don't know. It's a whole thing. And he's probably buying a spider bot right now. And I'm really jealous of that because I want a spider bot and I don't get to have one, but he does. So a good, a we're good just going to talk. A, a, news. Good, a good host would have taken 15 minutes to pull up the sound on the old episodes and record it and run it through audacity. Really? Really going to bitch about Give that? Give him another boo. Give him another boo. I like it. She's really like, that's, uh, that's what we're going mean, to. I'm just, uh, I'm just, you're just saying. I'm just helping out I'm, Team Cashington today. I'm just helping out Team Cashington today. I'm warning you, ASAP. Don't don't ask for the boost for other people because eventually it comes back to you. Trust That's me. totally fine. You do realize that I have played a wrestling heel for the past six years. I thrive off booze. Yeah, but these it, these hurt your heart, bro. These like, like in, in fairness, in Not fairness to me, I was trying to make sure that somebody got his breakfast rundown read in time, and I therefore. 
But then there's a lot of work, and I was working on it and on the top and ten you sci-fi and you could have got up. You could have got up. You could have set the alarm for 15 minutes earlier than this morning. It's also the little O'Dowd's birthday today, and I'm not at his birthday party. I'm downstairs. I watched him <laughs> See, open presents. This show should yeah, just be this show should game. this show should just be me, Ray, and Aesop right now. <laughs> it should happen. Happy birthday, I, little O'Dowd. I I I care more about this podcast than my son or something. Yeah. No, he's you'll make he, it up to the little old dude later. Oh, he's he's already playing his new Nintendo Switch games with his buddy Jake. So They're what? all having fun. Whatever. So what? No so what do you think led you down here. this road of of a criminal life? Well, when I had my eleventh birthday, my dad would <laughs> rather podcast than play Nintendo we just Switch talking, with me. And instead, we're, we're just talking about uh, like Marvel and having dad issues, right? <laughs> <laughs> we were, and I'm just doing my part to make sure that my child is as maladjusted as every other child in America. So, all right, let's let's get back on track here. By the way, it's his tenth birthday, not his eleventh. He just hit the decade. Yeah, right. So How would you I know your podcast. <laughs> Is it his birthday today? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's kick it off. We got some Spider-Man slash Sony news as it was announced via Variety this week uh, and shared in our DM chat by both myself and Ray Cashington. Uh, No, I shared it first. I'm just, you know, I'm saying I was, I was closer to the pulse. Ray wasn't paying attention. Uh, But Dakota Johnson has been tabbed to play Madam Web in the Sony universe of Marvel characters. Let me start with this. I, I don't know who the fuck Dakota, Dakota Jack, Jackson, Johnson, who, who is this woman? 50, 50 Shades of Grey. Yeah. That would be why I don't know who this woman is. Uh, she also, also did uh, that, the Suspiria remake, too, which wasn't horrible. Yeah, whose but... daughter is she, though? Yeah, she's a, she's like a famous act, actor or act, one of the famous actors' daughter too. Like she's pretty she's pretty popular. Like Don Johnson, I think so. Awesome. I think so. I think it's Don I'm Johnson Googling and now. Melanie um... Griffin. Don Johnson and Melanie yeah. Griffith. Well done, PC Tunney. Wow, yeah, I'll probably get all right. I said Griffin. <laughs> you see what I'm talking about? No, it's, no, no, it's, it's okay. So so here's here, here's the thing is um, Tony only got it half right because Aesop was the one who got Melanie Griffin right. So uh, let's just let's just be clear. That's what nerds do. Um, <laughs> so let's talk about this for a second because I, I'm a Spider-Man guy, and I like the Rogues Gallery within Spider-Man and the characters within Spider-Man. Madam Web though, I, I'm I mean. Ray, go ahead, because like I'm gonna watch it. I'll probably like it. I didn't. I like. I liked the Venom movies, uh, poorly reviewed that they were. Why? Uh, oh no. I'll, whatever, dude. I got to watch him bite the heads off of things. Like that's all I really needed to see. Like <sighs> Venom ate, ate people's heads. That was great. Yeah, uh, dude. Carnage was terrible. And um, for that, there you go. Uh, there it is. Welcome, welcome there it is. You're, you're I don't know what you're talking about, Ray. That feels good. So, Ray, defend Madam Web as a member of the Sony Spider Universe. Because I like outside of her cameo in the Spider-Man animated series, where she was way more important and powerful than she ever should have been. Like I don't I don't care. I don't care. Well, that's the reason. That's that was my reasoning. Now, for the record, I am not 
excited about a Madam Web movie. Again, I'll watch it, but I'm not like checking for it of all the Spider-Verse characters you could pick. But you can speak to this a little more from a comic perspective because I've never read anything with her from a comically. But isn't Madam Web kind of the reason for the Spider-Verse in general? And if we're going to have a a live Spider-Verse with different spider uh, universes and all the different spiders, Silk and Gwen Stacy and Miles and all these people and Sony trying to do all this, you got to kind of have the origin of why that's there. And Madam Web is the reason why. Also, Dakota Johnson works perfectly because she can both simultaneously look young and old at the same time. So good for her. Well, then. Um, Stop. Donnie, anything to I Because I... Okay. Madam Web. Madam Web's important, man. Uh, she is... Uh, is someone that has helped Spider-Man throughout uh, the comic book series and obviously the animated series as well. She's going to help him, you know, unlock his potential. And uh, from what I've been seeing in this, they're going to use her as like an underling to the Beyonder uh, for Into the Spider-Verse, which is going to be pretty fun. Now, as far as the importance of her for Into the Spider-Verse, there are two different Madam Webs. I think a lot of people associate Madam Web with the older version. The old but, woman glasses, yeah. Which, to be completely honest, that's what I was thinking of initially and why I kind of was like on the idea of Dakota Johnson being there. But to be fair, Madam Web did end up being Spider Woman for a long time uh, in the comic book series, too, which. You know, you never know. That could easily pop up in this. Don't shake your head at me, Ray. No, 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 I hear where you're coming from. I just just want to see Jessica Drew. I think she's too important of a character and too interesting of a character to not be. Why can't you have more? It's Into the Spider-Verse. You're clearly going to have a boatload of Spider-Man content, uh, content, Spider-Man characters and Easter eggs back and forth. And even if it's just a small reference to the fact that she was Spider-Woman, I'm totally there for it. And not to mention, like I said, she's an, if she is potentially an underling to the Beyonder, then she doesn't have the same level of importance that Madam Web might have from the comic book or animated series, right? Uh, now, I still agree. Old Madam Web is the right Madam Web. Give me like Helen Mirren voicing that because why yeah. the hell not? Uh, hell, go with the one of the greatest actresses of all time. Let's get Meryl Streep to do it. You know, I, there's there's so Dang many Judy Dench. I I thought that initially too. Like, there's so many great options for that, and uh, I guess I can't really make a comment on that until I actually see Madam Web in play. Even in, if it's just a trailer, right? Yeah, and I think it is. It is. A, we need to see it. Go ahead, real Ray. quick, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Real quick. Number one, she's this is live. She's gonna be live action, right? Not the part of the the cartoon version. Yeah, right? I assume so. Right. Secondly, st- stupid question here. Uh, forgive me, but Jessica Drew, Spider Woman, does she count in uh, of the Spider characters? Because I know she's so different coming from Hydra and whatnot. So does Marvel already have have rights to her, or is that a Sony thing? Uh, so uh, it's hard to tell. Uh, and, and anymore, they're all kind of married together in one way or the other, whether it's the Fox properties, the Sony properties. Uh, she is de- Jessica Drew is definitely an Avenger, uh, and is 
been as much in the Avenger as she has been with her own like spider series. Uh, I, I want to go. So here's what does encourage me looking at, looking at this show um, and looking at this movie is the potential of the writers that are tabbed to do this. Uh, SJ Clarkson, whose work you would recognize from Jessica Jones uh, and was also part of the uh, uh, Netflix series, the defenders um, she's hired to direct Matt Sazma and Burke Sharpless uh, were the duo behind Geraldo's upcoming vampire movie, Morbius. So they're going to be some continuity there in the script, regardless of whether it's bad or not bad. Um, at least there's going to be some connective tissue there from from the writers and how it goes. And I do think that makes a difference. You look at how much more s- seamless. MCU movies came once the Russos were like heavily involved in the projects all the way through. I think that's going to make a big difference for this. Uh, however, it, however it goes. Nods. Yep. Okay. Great. And, and no, I, I will stick up for uh, Dakota Johnson a little bit too. Cause uh, I did forget that she had uh, a pretty good year with uh, what is it? The lost daughter which uh, got her a lot of pub- publicity as well. Um, so she has she has moments of doing good things. So I, again, I think I think you just have to wait and see before we can really make any sort of real claim to uh, what she what she is with Madam Web. That's a great point because I just, don't, Stewart... I just don't know her as an actress. Like that's the thing is I'm just not familiar. Yeah. Her work it's not about whether she'll be good or bad i just don't know her like i'm i'm an old man i'm a curmudgeon i didn't watch 50 shades of gray and that's a great point because kristen stewart has shown us that like and robert pattinson too that just you can't look at these people at from this one thing that they're known for and judge them their whole career off of that because both of them have been critically acclaimed in almost everything else they've done since those movies so dakota may come out here and kill this it's true. She may. Well, and, and segueing nicely into don't judge them by everything they've done. Let's talk a little Channing Tatum, shall we? Uh, our next story also comes from Variety. And basically, Channing Tatum was very sad that the Gambit movie never happened. Um, so sad. I, I, I he, he actually talks about like going into depression over this. Um I I love Gambit. Like I fell in love with Gambit in the '90s because of the X Men cartoon when I was a kid. Like I thought he was like so cool, and then like read his comics. And one of my favorite comics of all time it, it was Exiles. Uh, started as a Judd Judd Winnick vehicle uh, before being taken over by some other stuff. And there was this group of um, they were kind of like the darker Exiles, and they were led by Gambit, and they were like the do the dirty work sort of characters in this group. And so it was a, it was an alternate version of Gambit that was, that was kind of dark and cool. I, I like Gambit as a character. I don't, I don't know what, I don't know how compelling of a movie Gambit, a Gambit movie would be. How much would it rely on him just being cool and in Louisiana? Well, first of all, you think Channing Tatum can get a nice Cajun accent down because that totally. everyone okay. knows that's that's what Gambit is, at least to start right. off, right? right? And uh he's too big. I need someone scrawny, I need someone thin that you know can kind of be the gangly, lanky guy to be Gambit. And Channing Tatum has never been that dude. Pete Davidson. Oh 
Jeebus. Oh God, no! Oh, I want to leave Jeebus Davis in France, but how? How you would? Uh, I'm sorry. You'd cut off your left pinky toe to trade mm. the women you've slept with to the women he's slept with. Well, that's a different conversation. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't get that, but it's um, not Pete Davidson, though. I don't care if he slept with them. Right. It's true. Uh, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know that. I don't know that Pete Davidson is is gambit. Like, I don't know if I buy that one either. But again, we just had this whole conversation about don't judge what they currently do. I, I, I have never. I was kidding. I was kidding. I, but I've never, I've never understood. I, again, people thought Batman would be stupid if Michael Keaton played him, and then was thoroughly successful as Batman. I so I seen it in the theater. Like you, you throw, you throw a name out there though, and it's, it's, it's hard to judge unless you actually see it. So who uh, even, would listen, be even at a, we even at a cast? Listen, even at a young age of like six and 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 eight or nine, I was able to go see Batman. With, with Michael Keaton and then go see uh, Michael Keaton in multiplicity and still be able to not take him seriously and laugh at that movie. So if we were going to cast Gambit... I was really trying to be, you know, very uh, facetious there. Thanks for not... Thanks for no-selling it. You're doing a great job, Charlotte. <laughs> oh, Danny, boy, you're killing it. Guilty. I love Charlotte, uh, though. I do. LOL, Charlotte wins. Anyway, back to the question at hand. Who would who would make a good gambit? Like if we were to cast this I this would, character, I would cast Channing, one hundred percent. Okay. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. There are other people, there are other people that can play the role for sure. Was it I was was it his play the role better? Duke from GI Joe. Was it his magic mic work? Um. Was it okay? So, so if if if, if this is one of those, uh, we're gonna judge him because he's played these characters. Have you seen him in Foxcatcher? Yes, I have. He's there we go. So we have. So the boy can play a dramatic role. But the thing is, so number one, Channing Tatum is born and raised in New Orleans. He can do a Cajun accent. So I have no no qualms about that one whatsoever. Number two, Ch um, Gambit as a character. It, it blows my mind, the X-Men fan that I know you to be, Patrick, and the Gambit fan that I know you to be, because Gambit also is my favorite X-Men character, besides Morph, thanks to the ca cartoon, right? Um, that knowing his backstory, one of the, probably one of the most interesting backstories of all of the X-Men we know, you don't think that there's a story there to be told? I, that I'm blown away that you that you not know, I don't know that I would say that there's not a story there to be told. I, again, it's put it in the same realm as when they said they were going to make an Iron Man movie. Like, okay. I need you to see, see it. it. Yeah. Like, That's you right. got to see it. Because let's be honest, when Iron Man was announced as the first Marvel movie, people were like, okay, maybe. Yeah. But it wasn't Spider-Man, right? It wasn't. It wasn't it wasn't the big one speaking. It wasn't another X-Men movie, which turned out to be great. Like, you know what I mean? Like in the end, the, the result worked. So I'm not saying it would be a, it'd be a terrible movie. I think, you know, the thieves guilds of New Orleans and, and the royalty that goes on there and and all of that. Sure, that could be interesting. It could also 
be kind of dumb this news fest. It could be okay. Blade Three. It could be the Blade Three. You know? The connection with Mr. Sinister and, and Nathan, Nathaniel Essex, like that's a big part of his story. There's so much there that can be told with him. And back to the Channing Tatum thing, two quick things and I'll give it back to y'all. Number one, the person we've known Channing to really excel at is essentially who Gambit shows himself to be outwardly. He's a much deeper introspective person as a as a character. But what we see from him outwardly facing is the charming ladies man who likes to enjoy himself and have fun and it'd be cool to see channing kind of play that duality of this really deep troubled dude who's trying to kind of uh move past his past becoming now and secondly we laud ryan reynolds for how strong and how hard he pushed for deadpool and worked for deadpool and it worked out channing tatum essentially has done the same thing for gambit so I understand where this depression comes from because he worked for this for 10 years and all of a sudden they pulled it from under him. So I get why he feels the way he feels because like this, of all the moves we've seen him do, Magic Mike is essentially his life and all this other stuff. Gamble is probably the one he wanted to do the most. And he wasn't able to do uh, it. So yeah, I, I, mean, it. I, th- I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I'll, um, I'll side with him. I respect that. Give me Michael Fassbender. Uh, give me Jared Leto. Give me uh, Eddie Redmayne. I, Eddie Redmayne I, may work. I like yeah, Eddie Redmayne. Like, I feel like there's there's better options. Matthew Lillard. All, this is nothing. This is nothing against Channing Tatum, I guess necessarily. Is, but is it body or is it acting chops? I'm curious. I mean, at that point, it's a little bit of both, to be honest. Okay. I, well, I Eddie think, Redmayne is one of the best actors in the world, so sure. Yeah, and and like, despite Jared Leto being absolutely bonkers, crazy of a of an actor to work with. He right. does make very polarizing character choices. Yeah. And I think he could easily play it. You know, this is going into his Morbius movie, which that is the only reason why I want to see this movie. I, I, everything mm. else I see about it just does not do anything for me. But him as Gambit, you know what? He could be very fun. Be very fun. Not to mention the the stories that would come out from the cast. Would be amazing too. <laughs> I I, uh, I I will say half the fun of any movie that Jared Leto's in is really you know what the hell he did. Just just go back and read this stuff that he was doing in, with the Suicide Squad cast, um, and that's really all you you know. That's and that's like the the foundation of it all, uh, and start your journey uh, through the web there. All right, the last thing that I want to cover before we head into the commercial break and then start doing uh, start part one of the op project is Netflix. One, they're raising their prices again um, because they're Netflix and, and they can and, you know, gay capitalism. Ooh. Uh, but they also rolled out a, a slate of shows that are, are frankly, a, a bunch of nerd shit. And so I sent this list to you guys. I really don't have too much. I, I mean, this is what Netflix has been doing for years now as they kind of work on their own content and have started doing more in backing films. Um, but I, I hope you guys had a chance to kind of read the, the list, read through some of the things that are in there and are being described. Um, because I just wanted to know if I hear from you guys about some of the, the highlights um, that you might be interested. I'll tell you, for me, Knives Out 2. Yes. Signed- because Knives Out, if you haven't seen Knives Out, by the way, watch it. It's awesome. It's my, my favorite awesome. movie of that year. What was that, 2019, right? It was a couple of years ago, yeah. It was a whodunit 
with you know Daniel Craig, it was all star cast, but Daniel Craig, uh, Captain America himself, Chris Evans, Don Johnson, um, Don Johnson. What was that? Jamie Craig? Lee Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, just Lakeith Stanfield. Yeah, it's just crazy stack. Huge, huge cast, and it really like the whole. It's it's funny. It's a modern day like Agatha Christie story. Uh, who done it with everybody in one room and basically everyone's a suspect and you've got this detective who figured who, who who the way he figures shit out is just it's clever and it was fun it was very well done and i'm excited for part two and the the cast that is uh already talked about for this one yes. is equally as star-studded janelle monet dave batista katherine hahn leslie odom jr kate hudson uh, i mean oh my god and just big time just to remind everyone, this is also the role that Daniel Craig left James Bond for. He left being James Bond to do, be more Benoit Blanc. So I am very much intrigued with Knives Out too. And uh, oh, also, guy that gets slept on a lot for his bad Star Wars movie, Ryan Johnson is a fantastic director. Agreed. One, well, Ryan Johnson didn't make a bad Star Wars movie. He just ran his... <laughs> Uh, yeah, absolutely. The other the other movie that I saw in there that that has my interest uh, peaked. The Russo brothers are teaming up with uh, Chris Evans again. They're working on a movie. I think it's called The Gray Man. Yeah. Uh, so it stars Ryan Gosling, where Ryan Gosling is uh, a, it's either a CIA agent or some sort of secret agent that um, is being pursued by the best in Chris Evans, who is also crooked and it just looks like it could be a fun little thriller. And I have come to trust the Russo brothers because they've entertained me with, with their Marvel work. So those were two, were there any other ones that, that popped out, you know, Ray, Tony, uh, Aesop, any of you, um, that, that were, were there that you were like, Hey, check it out. So, um, yeah, yeah, no, go ahead. I was going to say the Adam project with Ryan Reynolds and Mark Ruffalo looks fun. Um, yep. uh, that looked fun. Um, I'm I'm here for any Jamie Foxx movie. I'm here for any Kevin Hart movie. I I can always get a good laugh, but that god awful damn Jiminy Cricket is gonna fuck with me for the rest of the year. That is the worst looking. Like I'm I'm going full Patrick O'Dowd on this. Like that makes me not want to watch Pinocchio, and I got kids. Uh. I don't even want to see the damn movie because that god awful CGI Cricket and you and McGregor. Playing him is the perfect voice, I think, for Jiminy Cricket. But if you got, have you seen it? Have you seen what he looks like? Oh yeah, it's it's a little creepy. Yes, I got kids, bro. No. <laughs> Sorry, I I see my time. Tony. Yeah, not something that was on there, but something that's out that just came out that you can watch on there. It's called Murderville. I sent you guys the uh, trailer for that. I don't know if you watched it or not, but it looks really good. Will Arnett, it's basically a murder mystery or a dinner party murder mystery uh, equivalent of a show where he brings in a guest every week and they don't have a script. They just improv, are, baby. Yeah, and and they and can they figure it out? I mean, Conan O'Brien, Marshawn Lynch, Kumail Nanjiani. Uh, who else we got here? Uh, Annie Murphy and Sharon Stone. So uh, Ken Jong as well. So what an interesting, interesting cast. What interesting, interesting concept, right? It's kind of 
continuing with the uh, almost like the curb your enthusiasm vibe where like, okay, here's the outline, but I'm not going to put words in your mouth, make your character work its way into this space. But in this light, it's, it's even more so like a, like a, a hosting a murder mystery dinner party. Yeah. I, um, it's getting good traction too on Netflix right now. It's, I think it's in the, it's, it's in the top 10 of what's being viewed. Will Arnett, by the way, can we just, take a moment to recognize how good he oh, he is if you're a um, fan of lego you lego Ma- lego uh masters is lego excellent. Masters, i a little doubt enjoyed well, lego batman he's the voice of lego batman yep. yes he is so yep. yeah we'll uh, with love yeah shout out to the the bbc because that is uh, murderville is originally a bbc show that was fantastic uh, murder in successville and I watched that one. I have not gotten a chance to watch Murderville, but if it is anywhere close to what uh, Murder and Successville was, I will be very happy. Um, now, the the thing that I'm looking forward to that I, I know, uh, I, obviously the ones that Ray, Tunney, and Patrick have all mentioned are fantastic. Uh, I mentioned it the last time I was on is the Cuphead show, which is coming out in like a week or two, I think. I am very excited for that. Uh, also, Enola Holmes 2 is looking very fun. I, I like the first um, the first movie. Millie Bobby Brown is just fantastic. And uh, th- to see her kind of grow up in, in everything that she does and just continually get better and better, it, it leaves me with hope in this world for some, <laughs> some quality stuff going forward. And uh, I will watch that one, too, because uh, Henry Cavill was uh, hilarious in the first one. Yeah, well, and we know that Dave will, Dave uh, Ungar will also be watching an old Holmes too because Henry Cavill is in, <laughs> is in an old Holmes, and so, and we all know Dave loves him some Henry Cavill. All right, that is going to do it for news around the nerdosphere. We are about an hour into this program. We are making great time, fellas. Well done, well done. Applause to all of you. Look at this. I'm going to do. Look, at the, the audience agrees. They are happy. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to take our second commercial break. And when we come back, we will kick off the op project with our top 10 sci-fi and fantasy films of the first decade of the 2000s. Now, before we get to our recorded commercial, it is my duty to remind you that if you like what we do here at thechairshot.com and on the Chairshot Radio Network and you want to support us, the best way to do so is to head over to prowrestlingtees.com forward slash thechairshot and invest in a Chairshot Radio shirt. I'm wearing one today, fellas. Pulled out the bandwagon nerd shirt, repping the brand. I... And the guy who wore the shirt to the concert. That's me, even though you're not supposed to be that guy. I don't care. These shirts are great. We have all kinds of uh, styles and designs to choose from. Say you don't like our show, maybe like another one. You can work on getting you know, something like a saying from another show, like hashtag journalism. Ray Cash, that was for you. Um, or if you just want to rep the brand, we have all kinds of chair shot logo uh, shirts out there for you to choose from various colors, all the sizes, everything you need. They're only $19.99. Or if you're feeling fancy, want to spend a few dollars more so that it feels nice on your giblets, get it soft style and your body will thank you. It'll be great. Once again, that site is prowrestlingtees.com forward slash the chair shot. Thank you everyone for your support. Help keep us give you giving you quality content every single day. When we come back, We will kick off 
the Op Project. You are listening to Bandwagon Nerds on the Chairshot Radio Network, a part of thechairshot.com. Why should you visit thechairshot.com? Thechairshot.com is your home for hard-hitting reviews, news, opinion, and analysis with attitude. Why? Because you're smarter than the average fan. Thechairshot.com. Always use your head. All right. Welcome back. Ray was actually with me first on the call today. And so he actually had the privilege of listening to me sift through uh, some sound footage as, contrary to Tony's belief, I was desperately trying to find and put together some sort of introductory sound clip for the op project. I failed. I did not get it done in time. But but I, I did. The effort was half there. Um, I tried sort of, but not really. Um, and I'm okay with that. I, I'm okay to be tasked with said things uh given two to three days no, no, no. two to three days notice if necessary I, I, I just, I, well as long as that as long as that's there for breakfast i have no problem coming home right afterwards and taking care of business you know what i mean the only the only the only thing i was looking for um specific no matter what whatever happens with this is uh the conan o'brien routine uh the in the year 2000 the dude with the high-pitched voice singing in the year 2000 <laughs> has to be part of the intro i don't care where or how or what it is but it's i want i used to love that bit and you should go back because some of that shit is still too real like the very first bit of the clip that i was listening to before i cut it off when ray got on the call it was like in the year 2000 um something about like uh People, people have made their peace with guns in schools by allowing kids to have silencers on them. Like it was, it was messed up and yet a little too real. But here we are. It's our, it's our annual run of, of top ten uh, films in a decade based on category. Uh, we started the tradition last year of then rolling out uh, once it's all done and putting it out on the socials. The, the winners, uh, sort of our, our tops, will we'll put out the poll from our four our four number ones let the people vote and then the people get to choose who actually is the winner among the winners uh each week uh for a final list of seven uh this week as we've done the last couple of years we're going to start with the wheelhouse of the bandwagon nerds uh and that being the uh the sci-fi and fantasy category but you know ray already hinted at this I, I love doing this. I love this exercise because it's it's a challenging exercise, but it's challenging in a fun way as as you try to determine what goes where. And for me, uh, it's always about what movies can I put in a different category that I also kind of count in this category. And so <laughs> there, there are definitely some movies I thought about putting in this category that I am saving for our action movie week. It's just something I can't avoid. Let's do a quick once around the table, though. How was building your first list? And, Ray, we'll kick it off with you, and we're going to go clockwise to me. So it's going to be Ray Tunney and Aesop. You'll you'll bring up the, the just you're talking to us about your process. So Ray first. Hard as hell. Okay. I, I took a good portion of the, the afternoon, evening yesterday to go through all of this. And in going through all of this, I, my entire sci-fi fantasy list is fo- finished. My entire action list is finished. Half of my drama list is finished. Because <laughs> I had, I, there was so much to pull from. 
I'm glad I took the time to do that. And I mean, I, I we talked about this and, and I, I agree with you. I get your reasoning why you said no, but you don't really realize. And maybe you do. Maybe it's just me that didn't realize it. The number of comic book or comic franchises that came around in 2000s that we really could have had just a comic book level, just a comic book category or comic superhero category on sure. top of sci-fi fantasy and action and still had tons of honorable mentions that we could have put. Like there are movies that I love, absolutely love that aren't on this list. There are movies that w- that w- were up for Oscars and best picture that I don't have. You know, so um are gonna but, show up later in, in in your list, right? Some of them no. Wow. Yeah, well, some so of them that, no. That's that's gonna be interesting to hear. This really was the decade of the movie franchise becoming a real thing. Yeah. Like, you know, outside of a few outliers, like you had prior to the two thousands, you know, James Bond is a franchise that's been around forever. Um yeah. Terminator. Terminator, Star Wars, those those are those are you know kind of the ones that kind of exist. But, but this was the the beginning of the comic book film boom, yeah. like in both the Marvel and DC franchises. This is the beginning of, and I'm sure this is going to show up on a couple of lists. I know it does because it's all mine. The Harry Potter franchise kicks off. Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings franchise kicks off. Pirates. Pirates of the Caribbean. Hey, I'm talking. Just kidding. Let's just mention all the. Let's just talk about all the movies that are on all of our lists before we even. Start. All right, list is done. Thanks. Quickest bandwagon nerds ever, and it was a list show. See everybody. Right, but no, it is. It is one of those things, though. Like the the movie, the film franchise, and it kicks over into other stuff too. Like I think there's a couple of others from the '90s. I think Mission Impossible, like the first Mission Impossible movies that Tom Cruise made, were in the '90s. Um, and they just kind of kept going. The Fast and the Furious, I think, it was the same way. But for the most part, franchises for real kicked off in, in the 2000s. So I get it. I I can understand why this was was difficult. Tony, how how about you? How was composing your list? You you tend to have a very specific system when, when doing this. So and I'm sure you followed it again. I, I did. I like to either I don't know. I kind of did it right after we announced it last week that day and when I, I go through and I just look at all the movies in that category um, online that 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 came out and just get a rough draft in my head and then I go back and I kind of go over some top lists the morning of and and I write as many as down as I think would qualify that as a good movie and a candidate and then I go through that list and I call it down to 10 and then I go through that and I and I make my top 10 and I add a couple uh, this week a few I have three honorable mentions, so that's that's been my uh, tried and true method. Listen, folks, I never seen more than the first half hour of any of the Lord of the Rings, besides maybe 30 to 45 seconds at a time. I've seen maybe an hour and a half total of all of the Harry Potters. That's something someday I will probably watch. Okay, Lord of the Rings, that ship is sailed. It's gonna take some form of something to make that happen so you can look at my list and insert those in at one and two however you'd like to do and and maybe you get the next of the three through ten for you but this is my top ten list and uh just wanted to be uh out there in the open honest about it congratulations with only three honorable mentions by the way that's that's well i can make it more no 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 no. We're, we're fine with that 
<laughs> no, it's right. Azov, how about you? How how was making this for you? Uh, I knew my top four. I knew the top four that I wanted to place in there uh, real bad and potentially even top five. But um, my top four was pretty much set. I just kind of had to order it a little bit. Six through 10 was a little bit trickier. And, uh, you know, going over, I had to look at things and be objective to it all. I I did not place these in the uh, idea of best film. This is this is all personal based. And I should be. Uh, I yes, unless and you're wrong. I, I like unless think. you're wrong. Unless you're wrong, then it then you're wrong. <laughs> and, and that's entirely fair. Which no, maybe you, that's what wrong. kills me because I don't have Harry Potter on here. Um, yeah. I, I don't have any of them. In fact, you don't but, have to. Yeah, uh, and, and as far as honorable mentions, I only got two, and one of them definitely will not be on most people's list. Oh, I should say one hundred percent won't be on people's list. Probably won't be in people's honorable mentions, but it's one of my favorite movies, and I thoroughly enjoy it. So I'm glad you brought that up, because one of the things that we always make clear when we talk about our list is that these are our lists. These, I mean, it is it is not it's it's subjective. It's not objective. Right. Because, you know, like I've got at least one film on here that won an Oscar. Can, um, I, it, can I just bring up something real quick? And, and if you can say sure. no, you can say yes immediately or no immediately, or you can think about it and we can move on. But I think, I think, I think Aesop should be invited back for the rest of the list. He's very cultural. He doesn't need to be there for the first part of the show, but maybe he stops in at, you know, to, all right, you, you think about it. I don't know. Well, cool. Cause here's the thing. I mean, we, That's fine. we got two and a half hours the... episode. It's all good. Dude. Dude, what, what, why, why so hate? Don't be hasty. Um, I mean, Raymond S. Cashington and Esquire, the 50th is uh, missing next week's episode because of the Super Bowl. So we already have a vacancy on the bandwagon. So Not because of the Super Bowl, but sure. No, no, I'm making it up because it's the Super Bowl. Like, just. Okay. Well, the people don't know that. I'm, I'm not so, picking football over the, the show. Yeah, it's certainly not because it's Ravens made it to the Super Bowl. Right. No, it's not that at all. So Aesop is absolutely welcome to come back next week again if he wants to if he wants to come and, and share another list. And we uh, we will probably talk about Dave's list since I do have it in front of me as well. We'll save it for the end and I'll just kind of do a run through of it. Um, but I'll leave that up to Aesop. If you if you want to come back here, you're, you're welcome. Standing invitation. All right. Because- I'd love to. Opinions of the Rise of Skywalker notwithstanding. Um, (laughs) Let's go over a couple of other reminders and rules of what we do with these lists. Okay, so this is a top 10 list. We're going to go in order draft style. This week, the order is myself, followed by Tony, Ray, then Aesop, and then we do a rotisserie style. So Aesop would then go twice. Um, So Aesop would do his number 10, and then when we start round nine, you do your number nine, and we go backwards. If... You announce a movie and somebody else raises their hand. That means they have it higher up on their list. We pause and we move to the next person because we cover the the, uh, movie at the highest point it is on somebody's list. And then everybody takes a moment to talk about it. Um, And we will take a second commercial break uh, after we get through our top six or um, a 10 through six. And then we'll do five through one after the second commercial break. Don't forget the rules to the uh, project drinking game. When Patrick forgets the order, drink because uh, it will happen. Have your have your shot glasses ready or whatever it is that you use as a libation today. Hmm. It is mm. nothing water. like some Nestle Splash lemon water. To there really you go. get me I, going. 
Even that, mine's tap. <laughs> run, run, run through a filter, a little bit of Brita action. But that's that's it. That's basically it. And I get to kick it off with my number 10. So I, without further ado, I'm going to talk about number, my number 10. And this was a movie I almost put on my list of comedies, uh, but held off. And that was the film adaptation of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy which stars Alan Rickman as the funniest depressed robot on the planet. Bilbo Baggins himself. I can't remember the actor's name. Martin so, Freeman. Martin Freeman. That's right. Uh, Zoe Deschanel is in it, as is um, Sam Rockwell. Most uh, deaf, too. Most deaf. It is... If you've ever read the books, by the way, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and that, that series, because there's a whole bunch of Douglas Adams... It's it's a reverent humor that's all over the place. It's delightfully British. It's delight like it's so confusing and yet hilarious at the same time. And basically, the the story is Martin Freeman plays this human who uh, learns that Earth is about to be destroyed so that an intergalactic highway can be built through it. And he basically works his way through bureaucracy to save Earth traveling all over the universe it's great great stuff it makes me laugh and really alan rickman i will say this he he steals the damn show like he plays this i can't remember the name of the robot's name um but he's 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 just this depressed robot that ends up being the linchpin that that stops earth from being destroyed uh among other things and the most important thing to remember with interdimensional travel is that you must always carry a towel don't forget your towel so that was my number 10 uh, I don't know if either anybody else. I I'm assuming I saw it because you 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 lit up a little bit. Oh yeah, uh, Ray Tunney. I don't know if this is in your in your catalog. If it's not, you should check it out. Any any comments from from you, Saw? Excellent choice, Patrick. Uh, I love The Hitchhiker's Guide uh, with all of my heart. I own all the books. I've read them many times. Um, I. I think the only reason why I didn't put this on my list at all is because I wanted more so bad. And uh, it, it's definitely one of those movies that does not get the love and appreciation that it deserved to get. And uh, I, whether it be that irreverent humor that, you know, a lot of British comedies have, um, I, I don't, I don't know, but uh, it's, it's really good. And, and the performances Same. that are given are excellent. Sam Rockwell just running around yelling Magrathia left her. Magrathia! <laughs> <laughs> well, there's so many great, like, I mean, uh, yeah. Warwick Davis, you have Stephen Fry, you have Bill Bailey killing it out there. John Malkovich is out there killing it. It's a fantastic movie. It is. It's It really is terrific. I strongly recommend it. And I think it's on one of the streaming services right now. So if you have some time, HBO check it out. Max, I think. Yeah. Tony, I'm going to pass it on to you for your number 10. Well, I can tell you that my number 10 happened. Fuck you. <laughs> My uh, number 10 is Hollow Man with Kevin Bacon. What a Jesus. good movie. Oh what a great <laughs> movie. We're throwing that in there, number 10. <laughs> Ian Fel 
Kevin Bacon invents uh, 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 invisibility serum, and the government wants it to be approved only if he can reverse the serum. So he ends up getting uh, uh, not getting clearance, so he goes in and lies about it working, ends up taking it himself, Sock is his ex-girlfriend, quite the movie, Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon invincibility style. Isn't Elizabeth Shue is the yep. girlfriend? Yes. Oh, yeah. My, my... – 80s crush of all crushes, Allie. Directed by Paul Verhoeven. Don't forget uh, Josh Brolin, too, in that movie. Mm -hmm. Thanos dog. Uh, Also, you forget one of the side effects of him becoming invisible, which he he tends to get a tad rapey as well, which is mildly uncomfortable throughout the entire movie. (laughs) Definitely ain't right, that's for sure. He he is the Um, heel. He is the heel. The, the thing is, about that movie is, like, I remember I watched that movie multiple times. Like, not in the theater, but I definitely, listen, like, it, it was, was one of those. <laughs> listen, it, you can laugh all you want. It was nominated for an Academy Award. So there you go. Special effects were pretty good uh, had it for, for the time and when it was made. It was, it was good stuff. So it's your list, man. No shame in your list. Ray, you're number 10, sir. Yes. So. A lot of the times when we do these lists, I like to kind of give a little respect to some movies uh, at my bottom of my list because the top of my list is normally so different than everybody else's. So my bottom, the the 10, 9, and 8, I've never seen. But okay. I like to give respect for it. Um, so number 10, I wanted to give some respect to Lord of the Rings in general. I've, never, I've seen one of them. I don't remember which one it is. But so, uh, okay. But do you want me to tell you which one it was? It doesn't matter. I, I think that... D- I think we're just going to cover the series when we get to, to where okay. it gets. So I'll tell you which one it was when we get there. Yeah, that's fair. So that brings it to, to Aesop and his number 10. Yeah, uh, I kind of went the similar route of Tunny and went with a horror film. Uh, my first number 10, I should say, is Pitch Black, also in the year 2000. Nice, uh, nice, nice. Movie that has a modern take on the alien formula. Pitch Black was a sci-fi horror film that I can fully remember creating some genuine tension when I first saw it back in 2001. Uh, it takes that that transport spaceship carrying the infamous and dangerous convict, uh, getting marooned on that planet full of nightmare like hammerhead sharks, and uh, uh, it also has a very fun cast too, right? Keith David, Radha Mitchell, and uh, not to mention Vin Diesel's Richard. Uh, Richard Riddick uh, going into all types of media afterward, like the Chronicles of Riddick game series. It's simple story, solid cast, and great kills. It's a fun, fun movie. You know, you I think you brought this up in our conversation um, about like movies that need reboots um, and could come back. And you talked about Starship Troopers, which I fucking love Starship Troopers. Um, this just the kind of the frenetic action without the political commentary, uh, pitch black is, is in that same realm of fun for me. So, uh, and, and it has its own, it, and it spawned at least one sequel, right? Riddick. Yeah. Chronicles of Riddick. Oh, two actually. Cause they had yeah, Riddick and Chronicles of Riddick. I forgot about that. Uh, that, the one that you mentioned though. Uh, and, but unfortunately though, those don't have the same level of awesomeness, right? Those become more action films. So, yeah, absolutely. Excellent choice. Excellent choice. I like it. I like it. Uh, you're number nine. 
Yeah, uh, my number nine, uh, I didn't expect to put a single, just a solo sequel film in, but uh, Hellboy 2, The Golden Army is my number nine pick. And uh, I really enjoyed the first one, but Hellboy 2 took everything that I loved about that first comic book movie and amplified it. Uh, more action, more fantasy, more creatures, and most importantly, more character development. Uh, taking that main trio of Hellboy, Liz, and Abe to just new heights. There's a reason why the internet community wants another Del Toro Hellboy movie. It's even got, you know, 70 plus year old Ron Perlman clamoring for one too. And uh, I'm ready for another run of him as the titular character. Nice use of the word titular, by the way. It's both both proper and erotic. Um, unintentionally, but you know, it's there. Yep, feel those nibbles. <laughs> uh, adorable ray yes sir back to you for your number nine i'm sure it's higher on your list i'd imagine patrick but uh i i wanted to give some love to the harry potter franchise yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's no yeah i got you mr tunny your number nine my Hollow number Man. nine i i don't know if anybody decided to put this here or somewhere else or anything else but i have i have iron man number nine all right uh it's on it's on another it's i put it on a different list so yeah yeah it is higher on my list sure um which brings it to my number nine uh which is anybody here who knows anything about me and like my likes and my passions what i do love japanese animation and kind of the the father of um anime films oh steal uh, his uh, thunder I'm already, I'm already about to hand my steal uh, his thunder it's uh it's the 2001 film spirited away uh and it looks like sop's got it higher on his list so yeah. very very good like minds i appreciate that it doesn't steal my thunder and it happens um <laughs> brings it to my number eight then uh, which is a dystopian future film starring Clive Owen, uh, Children of Men, uh, which, you know, in, in terms of science fiction, it's science fiction in, in the sense of the dystopian world that he lives in and that, you know, baby, you know, babies are not being born anymore. Uh, and he is trying to protect someone who's pregnant. Uh, and just the it's it's a dark, gritty, horrific take on the human condition. Uh, and one of the things that I think is is great about science fiction and fantasy, but mostly science fiction, is that it is a terrific vehicle and a commentary on the world. Uh, and Children of Men is absolutely one of those as well. And when science fiction does its does its work well, uh, people talk about it. And and we'll follow it, uh, and and we'll reflect on it. And Children of Men really did that. So my number nine, sorry, eight, sorry. Great movie. Back to you, Tony, for your number eight, sir. Uh, my number eight is of the Star Wars lore, and it is Revenge of the Sith. Higher on Ray's list. All right. Oh, it's me, huh? Yeah. Um, yeah, sorry. Um, of the finally of the last movie that I haven't seen. Um, but, and look, Avatar. 
Okay. I'm a Fern Gully fan. I haven't watched Avatar because of <laughs> true story. This is not a joke. I ref- I have not watched Avatar because it's basically bit everything Fern Gully was. But I have to say this. I understand why it's not on any of our list. I get that. This is the highest grossing movie of all fucking time. Okay. Um, this says hi. No, they no. There was a re-release. Oh, Avatar they, they put it back to the top. They re-released it after the re-release of Endgame in China. Yeah. Oh it fuck! Is, it's back to being the highest. <laughs> this true story. No, because I yeah I had to look. No, I honestly got it. I didn't know. Like I, I was um, asking that question honestly. Like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, they do. Got was more with China than anything. <laughs> <laughs> also, also, this is also the movie that kind of led to um, the kind of uh, buzz of like bringing 3D TVs in your home. Because to watch this movie, a lot of people wanted needed to see it in the way that James Cameron wanted it to be seen, which was why it took him so damn long to make this movie. I don't know if I'll ever watch it. I know there's a two coming out this year and a three coming out in a couple years, but I like to show respect to movies that are of the utmost importance. And I don't think any of us could say in good faith that this isn't one of the most important movies ever made. You can't get that much money and change that much from a um, from the way something gets directed and, and, and viewed and you can't give some respect to it. So shout out to Avatar. Keep the move. Okay. Now comes the part of the list show where Pat shits on a movie that everybody likes. All right. Let me... All right. Uh, my number eight, I can safely say that no one had this even remotely close on their list. Um, hear me out on this one. I went a little outside the box for this selection, but I have Interstellar 5555, the story of the secret. Star <laughs> okay. Right. Okay. Interstellar 555 is actually the visual companion of Daft Punk songs from their discovery album. Easily their most famous album with songs like one more time, digital love, harder, better, faster, stronger. The story is nothing, right? It's just the abduction of an alien pop band and their eventual rescue. But this ranks on my list because of the music and the anime art style and how well it pairs together. The animators did a great job creating life in these characters that don't say any lines at all, really. And I I can't recommend this movie slash album enough. I think people should go out of their way and watch it because it is a fun ride and uh, everything just sort of works together very well. And I, I, again, I don't know if it's just me, but I have like the DVD at home. I love it. It's downstairs, front and center in by my uh, video section. I, I can honestly say you are correct that nobody figured <laughs> uh, that, that that is not on anybody else's list. There will be no usurping there. Uh, <laughs> I know I've never seen it. So I'm interested to see your animation list because you got two animation movies already on this one. So I know animation got to be crazy. Well, it's animation. So, you know. Oh, actually, I only got one animation right now. Oh, I guess I I guess you did count Spirited Away right there. Uh, All right. Well, my number seven is The Mist. Uh, It's Uh, it's 20. I thought about that heavily. Yeah. I thought about it's, that very heavily. It's 2022, people. If you yeah. haven't seen or at least heard of The Mist, then I'm fairly sure you're a caveman or you're Amish. 
some people don't realize <laughs> that this was a Stephen King anthology story from 1980, and Frank Darabont did a fantastic job recreating this story for film. Crazy monsters with even crazier kills, which can be utterly disturbing, but that is hardly the most unnerving uh, portion because Marsha Gay Harden is easily the scariest part of this movie, which more or less is, you know, the moral of it all. Uh, and obviously the ending, basically they just yeah. nailed this movie. I love it. That when you put together something so good that the author of the original work is like, damn, I wish I would have done that. <laughs> the ending of the, end of the movie King. is not, how, yeah. The ending of the movie is not how the book ends. No. I, I, it's a, the, it's like a, no, it's a short story. It's in the uh, skeleton crew uh, collection. Uh, I have that. I just want, it's the first story. It's a mini novella almost. Uh, and it's a great story all on its own. But yeah, the ending of that movie, I couldn't watch it again. Like after, like, cause it's, it's soul crushing. Like yeah. it kills you. And, and just, and just you walk away. And it's like, damn. Shout out to Thomas Jane, by the way, underrated actor. Excellent. Wonderful choice. Wonderful choice for number seven. Yeah, yeah, we'll see it in another list. So, oh, there's got a horror list, I would assume. Yes, to to <laughs> you for your number seven. Well, this is time for uh, us 2000 babies, me and Tony, to talk about our uh, I'm younger than both of you. What are you talking about? 2000 babies. Well, you know, <laughs> you know, you understand what I'm talking about, Tony. Are you younger than me? How old are you, uh, Asa? I just turned 30. Last week. I had no idea. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I know. I just I was look in, like I'm 47. I was in co- <laughs> I was in college in 2000, and you was just starting high school. Uh, second grade. Not talking to you. <laughs> oh. Okay. <laughs> but you you get what I'm <laughs> coming from, Tony. Um, Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. Revenge of the Sith. Um, we we me and Tony have gotten kind of laughed at on this show because we look at the the prequel series series a little differently than Dave and Patrick do because it was kind of we what we weren't alive in during the like when the first when the actual original series came out to really appreciate it the way they I was alive for one of them I wasn't really cognizant I'm trying to give you some love sir okay I don't want your love just taking it away (laughs) I want your love (laughs) um I think both both Tony and I also will agree that. While the Phantom Menace may not be the best movie, it holds a certain place in our heart. But Revenge of the Sith. No, I think uh, it's a very good movie. No, no it's, I, just, I, I didn't say it's bad. I just said it's not. <laughs> Stop it's including me in your opinions. Have your opinion. I'm, I'll have no, mine. This is us. God damn this it. Is this us. is horrible. So, together. <laughs> I hate Tandem. this. Tandem. No. Tag team. No. Um, Platt's trying to make a fucking six-man tag with me and DP. Ray's over here pulling me into a side tag team. This is horseshit. You're low. <laughs> you are appreciated. Okay. Um, no, Revenge of the Sith, man, is is I think a dope movie. I think it's, it's clearly, in my opinion, the best of the three. Um, Rise of Darth Vader. You get to you get to see Palpatine and how he that how they figured out how he was the supreme ruler, whatever the term is um that great um lightsaber battle at the end of the movie it's just 
a really good movie. Um, and for me, it changed those those three movies changed everything because I didn't give, give a shit about Star Wars before I saw these movies. So shout out to Revenge of the Sith. You want to say anything, Tony? Because it was eight on your list. Yeah, it's just I I really just was happy to see everything come back to the theater. Star Wars wise, we had been you know speculating on it forever, and then finally, like I I enjoyed Phantom Menace. I thought it was a really good movie. I love the um, race scenes. I love that they went back and hit that in um, Boba Fett. Um, Patrick Boba Fett, they did that in. Oh, I'm sorry. Are we still talking about the three? <laughs> We'll well, just go back to the mist, Patrick. Well, Phantom Menace is actually my favorite Star Wars movie of all time, to be honest with you. Just favorite. Would, not saying it's the best. It's it's I would agree uh, with that. Revenge of the Sith is the best of these three, in my opinion. Yeah. That's why I was that's why I tried to bring you in. We have the same opinion. Yeah, but for so different I reasons. I agree with that. Like I can agree that of the three prequel films, Revenge of the Sith is the least bad. Um and Dave, Dave, we don't know your opinion. What's the best Star Wars movie? What's the worst Star Wars movie? What's the best set of three? Obviously, you think the uh, original set of three is the best. Yes, uh, the original set of three is the best trilogy. Um, the worst Star Wars movie is Attack of the Clones. Uh, and I, I agree. The best, the best Star Wars movie is the one without Jedi's Rogue One. Well, so, that's okay. debatable whether or not that's a Star Wars movie. What are you talking about? We're Get talking about the nine. We're, we're talking about the we're, nine. The, the, the nine proper no, Star Wars. I, I get what you're saying. But that uh, wasn't specified for me. I'm just saying you didn't do that. Any, oh, I anyway, didn't say yes or no. I was just saying that's debatable. Like, a, you know, bad call by the ref. You're like, that's debatable. All right. So whose turn is it? Is it my turn? Yes. It no, it's my turn. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Tony, go. My number seven is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Um, I thought about that, too. Okay. I went back and forth on where to put that one. Yeah, Did written, not put it on this list. Written by Charlie Kaufman, directed by Michael Gondry. Um, you you got Jim Carrey. Uh, I'm trying to look up the secondary actor, uh, actors. Kate Winslet. I knew that. But Kirsten Dunst, Mark Ruffalo, Elijah Wood, Tom Wilkinson. What an, an amazing story. So Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet have this relationship that sours, and Kate Winslet goes ahead and has her uh, memory erased. Um, Jim Carrey learns of this and decides to do the same thing, but secretly. So we also have the backstory of this company, um, Lacuna, that, that, that erases these minds. So you have these group of people, like uh, it's Mark Ruffalo, Elijah Wood, Kirsten Dunst, I believe. Tom Wilkinson is, is the head doctor guy. And uh, Kirsten Dunst is having an affair with Tom Wilkinson's character. And then she also goes off on the side and sleeps with Mark Ruffalo while they're reprogramming Jim Carrey's brain. And it's a, it's a really interesting vibe to this movie. Uh, it's kind of out there. But in the end, the, the two that went ahead, their minds erased, their memories erased of each other, end up meeting back once again and deciding, not, not knowingly, but then figuring out that they had recorded things for each other. And remembering and wondering why they were so uh, such, a, such a sour finish, but they decide to go ahead anyway. So it's really weird. You can try and undo what has happened, but things generally revert to, um, you know, history tends to repeat itself. Great choice. I, that that movie is so fun for me. Um, I I love serious Jim Carrey. Right. I I think he is very underappreciated in that. 
category. And I, I didn't put it on this list as well. It, you know, in my head, I was thinking of it as something else, which, you know, if I do end up coming back for it, it'll probably be on that one. Um, but where, where would you guys put it then? Uh, I have drama. it on my drama list. Yeah, drama. Yeah. Okay. I have it on my drama list. I don't list. think it'll make Same. that list for me. That's why. Well, I tend not to repeat movies on lists. So, you know, when we talked about like kind of the construction and where do you put things, like there, there are movies that can easily, like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is clearly a science fiction film. Like, clearly. Um, but it's also a very heavy, dramatic film. Like the, the the emotion and the pathos in that movie is is really and Jim Carrey absolutely one hundred percent is phenomenal in, in that portrayal. So it's yeah, it's not a it's not a question of whether or not the movie's bad or good or deserves to be on a list. It's really like kind of like a lot of these wish lists do we put it on? Um, and and for me, like it's it's going to be on my drama list somewhere. So spoiler alert. So that brings it to my number seven, correct? And my number seven is another science fiction film that is reflective of society or something in history. And that is um, District 9, which is higher up on a couple of lists. So we'll move on to my number six, which is another. uh, This movie is kind of out there. Uh, I love it. It uh, stars Jake Gyllenhaal, Donnie Darko. I'm a horror, that's God, on my horror list. See, and, and I thought about horror because the bunny is creepy, right? Like yeah, the bunny, yeah. the bunny is creepy and weird, but it's also kind of a time loop story. Uh, and and uh, you know, he has this dream about dying in, in this fire explosion in his bedroom, uh, and he avoids it. And you kind of see what happens when he avoids everything and before realizing that, no, he needs to be there to die. Like it's, it's a very, it's a trippy story. It's a dark story. It has one of my favorite soundtracks of all time. And it's basically one song playing over and over and over again, that mad world song. Um, and was really a glimpse of the type of actor you were going to see out of Jake Gyllenhaal for years to come. So really enjoy that film. It's a, it's widely considered a popular cult classic and is my number six. So that um, pushes it back to PC Tony for your number six. My number six is one of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Fair enough. I figured so. It, it, it was my number 11. So, but yeah, shout out to Pirates of the Caribbean. Ray Cash, your number six. Um, X-Men 2. Anybody? No? Okay. Um, so it's a, again, it's in a different category for me. Gotcha, I, gotcha. I chose I chose to move it to a different category. Gotcha, was, gotcha. So we flip flopped Iron no Man. No categories. Gotcha. Um, that's fair. Um, I'm X Men Mark. X Men are. The, I feel about X Men the way Patrick feels about Spider Man. X Men are it for me, in terms of like comic book heroes or whatnot. Um, and with the exception of Logan, this is the perfect Wolverine movie. Essentially, if you think about it. Um, it's funny that I know Magneto is the big bad, but he's really not a bad. He's any hero. William Stryker, the one guy that has no powers, is like does the most of them more than anybody else, in my opinion. He kind of tears them up from the inside, destroys everything they care about, almost literally gets to the point of killing all the mutants with Jason, 
We see Lady Deathstrike. We get um, the full exposition of Wolverine's actual backstory. Unfortunately, we get to the horrible um, introduction of the Dark Phoenix because, you know, with Gene saving them in the end. Uh, but it's also little stuff, too, like um, seeing Bobby Drake at home with his family explaining to them his powers um, and then them kind of shunning him away and his little brother calling the cops on him. Little things like that make this a very a much deeper movie than you expect. And um, I know Blade was the first modern uh, first modern um, comic, comic, comic movie, but X-Men was right after that and next man kind of took it to a bigger level so while i think this is a great movie i also wanted to give some love to x-man and kind of them being the precursors to the team of movies we see now so fantastic op- opening scene too with uh, alan cumming and kurt wagner yes just yes. so good so fun best nightcrawler in my opinion i know the new dude was cool but like and eh, not the same he's, 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 he's not alan cumming well and and that character was way more generic. Like the Alan Cumming character, like they incorporated his faith, which is a big part of Kurt's character in life. You know, this, yep. it it wasn't just the circus freakish stuff. Like it was, it was, it was good. And of the of the attempts to do something with the X Men, X Two, I think, has been the best mm-hmm. X Men film that's been made. Like I just feel like. In its totality, uh, and I, you know, if they would have stopped at X Men Two or at X Two, um, and not and not done that last stand business, look, uh, man, I, I I hate the dark things for that reason because it's such it's the pentomet X Men story, but everybody feels like they have to tell it and you don't. And they can't do it right. They can't do it right anywhere. I don't know why that is, but the only the only Dark Phoenix saga I've ever seen done well was in the cartoon in the nineties. Yep. Uh, we talked about that, and they did it in a five part miniseries because it it takes that much work to do. So, no, excellent choice. It'll probably show up in my action list. Uh, I, I'll also uh, I really enjoy Days of Future Past. Uh, I don't know if it necessarily yeah, usurps it, know. but it's right there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's pretty good. I, I think First Class is better than all of them. First Class is fun. There's continuity issues is where I fall on that. Fair. though. That's, that's, that's why I can't get down with that. Uh, my number six is, uh, I, I guess I shouldn't have raised my hand necessarily, but I have the entire Pirates of the Caribbean uh, trilogy here. Okay. And, uh, you know, I, I suppose PC will probably want to get some words on it, but some people have Harry Potter and some people have the Pirates. And I personally feel that the Pirates trilogy has had more of a lasting impact on my life. I played uh, the entire, not the entire, but uh, a lot of the score for the Milwaukee Youth Youth Symphony Orchestra back when I was younger. And remember just loving each and every part of the, you know, playing. I loved how they had two separate stories that come together in a very climactic third film Johnny Depp's Jack Sparrow is such an iconic character. And I hope that the upcoming reboot does the series justice because clearly the second attempt at a trilogy did not. Right. I, um, if you want to talk about a, a, a movie that I think surprised a lot of folk at how good it was, I don't think a lot of people took Pirates of the Caribbean the first time, first run through 
Like they're like, oh, they're gonna turn a Disney ride into a movie. How's it? How's it even work? Is it even gonna work? And they pulled it off so well that twenty some years later, Disney basically redid it with their Jungle Cruise movie. If also, watch, a fantastic movie. Right. But if you go back and watch Jungle Cruise, it's essentially the Pirates of the Caribbean, yeah. but with the Jungle, but with the Jungle sure. Cruise theme instead of the Pirates of the Caribbean theme. And then you're right; they're both quite fun and very enjoyable. And yeah, Johnny Depp. As the years went on and Johnny Depp became more of a, a parody of the character, like when you get to like the fifth one, that that gets kind of iffy. But those first three are are tight, I would say, and are, are a heck of a lot of fun. And you guys may disagree with this, but I think Davy Jones is the best CGI character I've ever seen. It is amazing how good that dude looked. The movement and the, the subtle detail that they have throughout is it's really freaking good. Yes. So I had Curse of the Black Pearl on this list because it is by far the best of any of these movies. Um, there are, there, there's one, I get them all mixed up, okay, besides the first one. And I've seen them all a, a, a few times, even the bad ones. I think the Fountain of Youth one is the worst one. Am I not right? And the one with the mermaid. Anyway. And that's the one with the, oh, girl, um, what's her name? Blackbeard's no. daughter. I, I get them confused, but I think one is by far the best. It it created a phenomenon. Like, we talk about movies at the time. It's funny that it doesn't really happen like this anymore. Basically, back then, if you got a toy or a cup or something at a fast food restaurant, you were, like, the biggest fucking thing going on. And that movie was just rocking it with, uh, I don't know which one it was, Burger King. Maybe you could go and get, like, a Pirate's Cup or something like that. But I just remember all the different things like that associated with it. I know uh, I've I watched it a couple times. Uh, it's a three, three, almost a three-hour movie, right? Uh, I watched it on a few flights. Yes. Watched it on a few yeah. flights to get through some long flights. So definitely yeah, one, of the most, busy, one of the most iconic characters in movie history played by Johnny Depp. For sure. For sure. Uh, my number five. Uh, this oh, one's... Oh, 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 we got to pay some bills, bro. Oh my bad. We gotta pay some bills. Yeah, we gotta jump in and do our our third commercial break. When we come back, Aesop will regale you with his number five uh, <laughs> in the sci-fi fantasy uh, list for the Ot list. You are listening to Bandwagon Nerds here on the Chairshot Radio Network, a part of the Chairshot.com. That is not the commercial. <laughs> that is the commercial. There we go. My bad. This is your boy, Kenny Killer, telling you to make sure you check out thechairshot.com, bringing you breaking news, interviews, podcasts galore, everything pro wrestling. Make sure you check it out, thechairshot.com. Oh, boy, I cleared the room on that mistake. My goodness. Hell, if I kept <laughs> going, it would have gotten the uh, the MCU open as well, as that is amongst my, my list of sound bites. But we are back. Thank you, everyone, uh, for ignoring my, my poor usage of the soundboard. And we are. We're going to hand it back over to uh, Aesop to lay on us his number five sci-fi fantasy film of the odds. Yeah, sorry for jumping in a little quickly. Uh, I know that uh, <laughs> uh, it, this list has got me so intrigued, I guess. But uh, this, my number five, 
Uh, this movie's a little weird because it came out alongside another movie with more or less a similar story about magicians uh, in The Illusionist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, I'm going to go with The Prestige at number five. To me, this was the one that I remember more between the two. But Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman play magicians who are competing with each other to become the best in the world. A uh, bunch of weird shit happens, including twists and turns that, frankly, are just ludicrous. <laughs> but for, for me, it works. And I have a lot of fun watching the entire movie. And outside of those two main characters, you have a, a stellar cast. Michael Caine, Scarlett Johansson, and fucking David Bowie playing Nikola Tesla. Uh, this is a really good movie that I encourage people to see because it's is, it's uh, weird. This is a Nolan film, right? Is Christopher Nolan? Yes. Right. Because um, if Michael Caine's in it, Christopher Nolan probably directed it. Michael Caine. <laughs> uh, that was very nice. Very impressive. Yeah. I, I, what was the other illusionist movie that was the, out Edward at the same Norton. Time? Edward the illusionist Norton. with uh, Paul Giamatti, right? Edward Norton. Right, right. Yes. Edward Norton, is that what you said? You kind of cut out. Edward Norton. Yes. An actor in his own right as well. But yeah, I remember like it, it was, there was a time when like it would be like these, like you just get two of similar types of movies. Like I think we talked about it. Like there was the year Armageddon came out, there was Deep Impact. Um, uh, and, and you just, you would have those, but yeah, the illusionist and the prestige were two that they came out around the same time. And, um, and both yeah, were great but, by the way. Yeah. Uh, but it's hard to pick against Christopher Nolan. Like it just really is. So, uh, excellent, excellent choice. Ray, it's, it's to you and your number five, my man. I think you had a little lower district nine. Was that you? Yes. I had a lower, um, did anybody else have it on their list? Oh, I thought Aesop had it on his too. Did you not have it on yours? I don't think I might have given you the thumbs up, like oh, excellent pick. Yeah, excellent. Uh, okay. And I think I just did that, like uh, yeah, as a an instinct, but not realizing. Thank you. Thankfully, yeah. Ray <laughs> kind of covered me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I got you, brother. Um, you, you when you started kind of explaining it, uh, the first thing you said was um, you kind of related it to where we are now. And my God, like District 9 is just. Imagine if I could kind of give a synopsis of it. Um, apartheid with yeah. aliens. Yep, that's exactly what it is. And it, it's it's crazy to 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 think you'd get that emotionally involved in aliens that if, I, if forgive me if I remember incorrectly, they don't even speak, do they? No, no so I thought, don't. right? Yeah, it's, it's been a while since I've seen it, but I know I loved it when I saw it. And Homeboy that plays the main character, um, what's his name? Do you remember his name? I don't, but I can look it up real quick for Supremely you. South African. Simon. Yes, yeah. he killed his role. But it's just, it's such a deep movie. It's, you know, and you, I don't want to be too deep in, 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 in this situation, but you wonder why. Sherido Copley? That's it. Yep. Yes. I knew it was a crazy first name. Sharito, is that how you say it? I think so. Yes. Or no, so Charlto. I know Charlto. he I know he played um the crazy dude in the A team. I love the A team for the record. So I can't remember anything else he did, but I know he's he played that dude, the the pilot in the A team. Right. Um but this movie really like if if there's a sequel and they come and they, they come back to the earth to try to take over the earth, you understand why. Like what they were put through. It is just 
it's demeaning and disgusting and horrible and you feel for them and it's just it pulls so many emotions out and it's amazing how they pulled this off and really the protagonists don't have words it's amazing district nine is just a masterpiece of a movie go ahead patrick no, I, I absolutely agree with you. And, and again, one of the things that I think is beautiful about science fiction is that it can be done in a way that holds up a mirror to our world. Uh, and I don't want to say in a non-threatening way, but in a, a challenging way without making people feel challenged. And sometimes that's a good thing. It's not always a good thing. Like you don't want people to be wrapped in a cocoon and, and not and not look at something. But it's it's allegory and it's allegory for one of the worst regimes in human history and and district nine is is phenomenal and and left you at a place of uncertainty at the end like and that's the other thing that i love like there's a couple of other movies that i i left off here um because i like older original version but like the war of the worlds is another one like mm-hmm. Um, basically if you look at any science fiction movie from from the 50s it's all about communism alien invasion movies are all about like the red scare and communism and, and overreaction and stuff like that and that's just that's my fate one of my most one of what why i am so passionate about science fiction um uh, in particular is because of what it does um in terms of being a reflective lens on on our world uh in a way that is palatable a lot of times so yeah no no disagreement there on district nine excellent choice Neil Blomkamp, the director of that, yeah. is does a fantastic job, and uh, especially specifically with Dis- District Nine, that was a a short from years earlier, uh, live in Joburg, and mm. it. Uh, yeah. I'm I'm very happy that that was able to kind of manifest manifest itself into something bigger. But um, I mean, he's got a whole bunch of movies that you know don't sleep on him. Elysium, Chappie, uh, he did. Uh, demonic last year as well. Uh, Neil Blomkamp is someone that picks and chooses the right time to kind of come out and put something out that is uh, thought provoking. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the best. So no, no, um, no qualms there. Tony, where do you and your number five, sir? Minority Report. Man, that was my that was that was on my uh, honorable mention. Yeah, such a good movie. So this is Tom Cruise and and um, Colin Farrell, and it's uh, pre-crime is a is a special police organization that uses three clairvoyant humans, three psychic humans, if you will, to use uh, uh, to to figure out what what's going to happen before it happens, and they arrest these people ahead of time for crimes they haven't committed, right? And uh, it comes down through this little tube thing with these balls and everything, and it's if you, if you've seen the movie or the or the the uh, trailer, that's what you kind of remember for it. And it's kind of the whole theme of free will versus determinism, right? And that's kind of like what the whole story is based on. And they come to find out that, you know, these things are not 100% correct. And it costs some people their lives that shouldn't have happened. And a lot of people have been put away that shouldn't. Um, This is a Steven Spielberg movie, folks. So uh, if you're a fan of things that he's done and you're a fan of Tom Cruise, this is... This is a very good and entertaining movie. I would encourage you to check it out if you have not. It, it just made, it just missed my list. It, it was one of those that, and, and I'll even say, it's because I wanted to put a couple of personal choices on there, and that's how yeah. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy ends up on there, a minority mm-hmm. report. Can like, I ask you a quick question? Personal. Go for it. 
what's what's the better movie to you, Minority Report or Source Code? Because they kind of have the same plot. Minority Report. Minority Reports are based on Minority Report is based on the short story um, by Philip K. Dick in 1956 called The Minority Report, which is really interesting as well. So, right, and a lot of your science fiction films out there. Speaking of authors that you should check out if you want to see your, some source material, Philip K. Dick, uh, Blade Runner, based on based yep. on his work. Uh, just as one of the as, greatest sci-fi films of all time. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, so we're to, we're, we're to my number five. My number five is an M. Night Shyamalan flick from 2000. Hey. Higher on Tony's list. Unbreakable, really? Nice. All right. So we'll move on to my number four, which is my lone Marvel Cinematic Universe movie on this list, and that is Iron Man. Um I, you can, as 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 it's been talked about here, between DC and Marvel films in the first decade, you could have a full list, um, and there will be a mar there will be at least one Marvel film on my action movie list. There's going to be at least one DC film on my action movie list. Iron Man kicked off the MCU. It is science fiction in, in its heart. When you really look at Tony Stark in inventing technology that's just beyond our imagination right now, and, and that's that's science fiction to a T, right? Like right up there with space exploration is, you know, something that's rooted in reality. Because that's the other thing is that Iron Man's technology is rooted in theories that can't possibly be done yet, maybe never. Um, that are made real by by technology uh, by cinematic you know magic and you know Iron Man if it's a flop one of the biggest gambles ever if Iron Man fails we we don't set our calendars by what Marvel movie comes out in May yep we just don't so I, you can't not put it on a list and so it's my number four yeah John Favreau goes back to doing like sitcom cameos and never never creating this again lore yeah exactly right so it's just too grounded to be considered sci-fi to me i get why and you're right everything you said explains it but it's such a grounded movie i I mean you know arc reactor notwithstanding i guess you know sure but i mean are there things on this are there things that we have right now that aren't comparable to an arc reactor i mean i know it's not literally yeah (laughs) a a limitless supply of energy that is self-sustaining and runs on its own no that's we don't have that like we just don't in the literal sense i hear hear what you're you're saying but i also think that's a great thing about science fiction again like that you could see this as a possibility i think is part like Star Trek's idea, the idea of Star Trek is that that someday we'll be able to do that. Yeah, sure, sure. Like, so, yeah, I, but yeah, I think it's absolutely, and I I hesitate to put it in into a category like action because most of the movie, really, when you think about it, is Tony developing technology. Yeah, it's developing, a lot of action in the movie. There's not like there's the big action piece at the end versus Ironmonger. Um, and there's the big action piece at the beginning, but in between, it's really about him finding himself and, and developing the technology to build the suit. One other action sequence when he blows up the tank. But to your point, that's the reason why it worked was because we got a chance to get to know Tony Stark, the character, 
and not just see him blow some shit up. Well, and Robert Downey Jr., like, it's it's another one of those things, like, they cast him like, well, he's a hell of an actor. It's a big risk um, because of his track record, and, boy, he, he crushed it, obviously. Yep. yep. So that's, uh, yeah, that's my um, – yeah, that's my. That's a good number four, Tony. There, there might not be a bandwagon nerds without Iron Man having oh, yeah. success. Oh, your number four, sir. My number four is the Dark Knight. Anybody? Action for me. No. Okay. I have it on here. Um, I kind of struggled to come up with this list, with with a whole plethora of things that I wanted to put on there. I mean, we can. I'll just save it for another time. We're kind of going over here. Everybody knows it. It's really about Heath Ledger's performance there. You can throw this in a number of categories, but I, I really liked that series of Batman personally with Christian Bale. So obviously to me, the, the best out of those and uh, one of the best performances uh, of the Joker, in my opinion, probably the best performance by Heath Ledger. Underrated best Lucius Fox performance by Morgan Freeman too. Agreed. I'm ready for Matt Reeves to uh, pass this up. I think it has potential. Uh, that's just my, that, that is my opinion. No, I'm looking that. forward to the Batman. Nothing against. Yeah, yeah. I am. Nothing I, against Dark Knight. I, I, just, I, I just, I just really, I really love this movie, and I wanted to put it up somewhere on my list. So you know, uh, for sure. But I, I agree with that, ASAP. What, what he's doing with this new movie and what the Riddler could be, it could rival, if not surpass this. I completely agree. The the cinematography just from the trailers alone has yep. got me so enthralled, and uh, I I just don't know where they're gonna go with it. And I I guess to me that is what draws me in so much. Now I I am I'm not quite in the same level of fandom on Dark Knight as most people are. Now again, this not me saying that Dark Knight is bad. I I can recognize a good movie, a great movie. Uh it but I, I definitely reel it in, similar to how I feel, I guess, about Far From Home, uh, where okay. I can acknowledge that it's a really gr- it's a good movie, but I'm not going to to say it's the end all be all of comic book movies like so many people love to make it out to be. And you know, um, no way home. No way home. No, no. Dark Knight. No, I'm talking. You said far, far from home. You mean no way home? Just for the listeners. oh, sorry, sorry. That's what I yeah. meant. Yes, uh, uh, but yeah, that's that's kind of how I fall on Dark Knight. I, I, I can definitely give you the sci-fi aspect. I, uh, it's got stuff that clearly would never happen. Um, you know, but uh, I think, uh, I think that is that for me would be a definitely one that is best served in another category. Yeah, I put it in there. What do you have? What do you have here for? I can't tell. That's you. Is it my turn? Yeah. Oh, Drink. look. Okay. I, I was trying to be Patrick for a moment, and clearly I can't be Patrick. <laughs> my number four is my favorite actor and one of his probably most underrated movies, I, Robot. Mm. Will Smith. Okay. Will Smith. Isaac Asimov. As a fan of the short story, it, it, it was one of those that, like, I, I respect. What's that? It missed the mark for you? Well, it didn't miss the mark. It's very good, um, but it's very different from the short story. Source material is always going to play a big factor for me. And I, I know exactly how you feel, Patrick. Um, right. But it's a great film, like as an action film and, and, and what it is. Why don't you talk about it? Because it's your movie. We, we don't wanna, I don't want to stop on it. 
No, no, no. I mean, it, uh, that's the beauty of of these for me because I've like I explained right. to you, there's so many things I never thought of. I didn't know it was a real short story. So that yeah. is the first time I'm hearing that. So that makes me want to look at that and see, well, what's the difference? I also think, though, that a lot of these short stories, a lot of these source materials were made so long before the movie came out that it's almost impossible to kind of have a perfect translation on the screen, big screen. But I think... Well, and Isaac Asimov, like, he's like one of the grandfathers of science fiction. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, like, he's he is right up there with a Philip K. Dick. Um, okay. He's, I- you know, a Tolkien. Like, he's one of the... The icons. Like, if you're gonna make a Mount Rushmore of science fiction authors, got you. And, and he wrote in the '50s, so yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, well before I'm, our time. I'm not a major literature guy, so I'd see sure. to you guys, and I learned so much from this. Like, I've lo- I've right. never heard the name Philip J. Dick. I'm gonna look him up. Um, again, these are the things that helped me evolve in my nerddom, if you will. I love the movie because at the time it came out, we had just lived through the the Two K, the 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 year two K bug, Y two K, right? And and the idea of can um, artificial intelligence and can technology become sentient and take over? And it was, I think it was a really well done, well um, explained way that they played this movie out, especially with the reveal that Will himself or whatever is Sonny, I think was his name, right? Yeah. Or was Sonny or was Sonny the 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 um robot? Whatever Will's character was, but Will himself was a cyborg. Dell, thank you. Because he had himself had to have his arm replaced. And so he almost kind of hated himself and had to learn to love himself and trust robots through the th- it was just a really well done movie. Um and when I think of some of my favorite scenes in cinema ever, the scene of him driving the car and them coming and in the in the freeway and trying to destroy him is such a beautifully shot and rendered scene. Um, and I'm a, I, you guys know I'm a Wilmark, so like there's not many he's done that I don't rock with. But this is I think this is maybe one of his most underrated movies he's done. Um, I Robot is just so good to me and matching the time of the of the season or the or the what matching the tone of the time, I think helps it. Almost like another movie that I don't know if anybody has, but with Haley Joe Osment, artificial intelligence, AI, like those hit the tone of the time so well. And I think that helps in a list like this. Yeah. Uh, also, I got to give a shout out to film's best kept secret in Alan Tudyk because uh, he yes. kills it in that role. He is yes. he is the best kept secret in Hollywood. That guy can't do anything wrong. He fucking killed it as a rooster in Moana. <laughs> man totally agree totally agree shout out uh, to him and doom patrol yeah doom patrol is is probably he and currently he's on a show called resident alien on sci-fi that just absolutely it, bonkers <laughs> it's good it, but it's going really really well um all right now it's asap's turn yeah with, my uh, number, number yeah, yeah my number four i got another guillermo del toro film and it's uh it's pan's labyrinth ah Damn it. I thought I would. I have, I have gotten you. Ha <laughs> ha. I, I was getting close. I was feeling pretty Wait, good. Bitch. All right, well, fine. Then we'll move up to uh, my number three. It's Big Fish. I love this movie. While Pan's, Pan's Labyrinth kind of takes that fantasy and makes it beautifully terrifying, 
Big Fish makes it whimsical. Uh, first things first, let's get the cast out of the way because Billy Crudup, Jessica Lang, Helena Bonham Carter, Robert uh, Guillaume, Marion Cotillard, uh, Missy Pyle, Steve Buscemi, uh, Danny DeVito, Miley Cyrus, and fucking Ewan McGregor, who makes every role amazing. I love this movie. It's basically the 2000s version of Forrest Gump, but with some Tim Burton sprinkled in, uh, which considering he was the re- director, it shouldn't surprise anyone. If we see this movie on, if I see this movie on TV though, I have to watch it. It still holds up after 20 years. And I don't think it got the love that it truly deserves for being such a fun film. I, uh, I own this movie um in in my library and uh, yeah it's it's one that again i kind of went back and forth on and it it didn't make either of my list because it's not like for me it's not a must stop and watch but it's it's fantasy fairy tale it's a fairy tale like that's the thing that's amazing and it's you know we talked about daddy issues it's all about a relationship with a father like and, and you know a son reconciling the larger than life personality that is his dad and it's yeah it's beautiful it's a beautiful and and the the end when he takes him when, when they break out of the hospital um that's it's 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 wonderful like it's it's just wonderful yeah so, i watch yeah. it i watch it now if that movie got re-released in theaters i could not tell you that it was 20 years old right it's good it's really it's a really really good flick so i uh i like that as a number three back to you ray you're number three sir well i'm gonna make you and asap very happy because we talked about this earlier this this show and a couple of shows ago spider-man 2 not on my list okay because it's um, in my list, but that's got okay. you got you got you um many people before far i'm sorry no way home came out would have considered this the best live action spider-man some people still do that's fine but uh in terms of a spider-man story that is not putting multiple universes together this is this is as good as it gets right out of octavius um and trying to find talking again about clean energy we were talking about right the power of the sun and whatnot and going crazy and um what makes this movie while Otto is maybe I, i'm a green goblin guy but Otto was fantastic as a as the heel or the bad guy what makes the movie is the peter version of this movie peter going through it with um mary jane and her falling in love with jameson's son and have and that that dynamic made this movie even more to me because like it gave it gave you really get a chance to see um, from a from a superhero perspective what Spider-Man does best is that this stuff affects him on a like on a deeper level, real life does than a lot of other superheroes, right? Because I mean, essentially he's broke, he's doing his best to get by, and he's giving everything up he loves to help people. And this movie hits that perfectly, especially at the end when she sees that oh shit. This is why you've been fucking up all this time. It's because you've been Spider-Man. Such a great movie. Great. It's fantastically acted. Alfred Molina is the man. I think we can all agree on that. Um, yeah, man. Fantastic movie. I, I love Spider-Man too. It's not better than No Way Home. 
but it's real close. So Otto Octavius is my favorite Spider-Man villain. Uh, Over the Goblin, okay. Yeah. Um, and it's between, you know, between, uh, and it's really kind of tough because there's basically like one, one A, one B, one C. Like there's so many. Because like I love the Kingpin, I love the Goblin. Yeah. Um, you know, the Kingpin oftentimes gets, you know, gets the Daredevil love, but he started with with Peter Parker. Yep. Um, but Otto Octavius, I always loved because he was this man of science who who his obsession broke him. And, and, you know, and him and his his arms becoming one. And people don't often realize, like, uh, in the early iterations of the comic, he they, they weren't a part of him. Um, but he, like, he literally breaks out of prison by mentally communicating with his arms that are being kept, like, across the country. And they walk back and break him out of prison. Um, it's, that movie, though, has some of the best some great scenes in it the him stopping the the train him stopping the train and being pulled apart even jesus allegory notwithstanding um it's a it's a great moment so much so that it got an homage in homecoming um you know him holding up the debris over mary jane and being like hey this is really heavy um it's just good stuff it's, it's great moments and I uh yeah, I thoroughly I thoroughly enjoy Spider-Man too. Like I think it's it's great. I think that um it's and it, it, it I have a soft spot in my heart for it, so just remember uh to the people that want to make claim that uh was it No Way Home? I, I can't remember though. Uh it's called You Can't Have That Movie Without Spider-Man 2. And I think that is something that needs to be uh, talked about and the importance of that movie is is something that is well so important to everything that the newest spider-man trilogy became uh, i i don't it's not spider-man one it's not the original sam raimi it's not spider-man three it's all spider-man two everything that they did with uh tom holland's spider-man character is built off of Spider-Man 2. Right. Yeah, I, I agree 1,000%. We don't, like, comic book movies are viable because of Spider-Man 1 and 2. Spider-Man 2 took it to a new level um, and is why we are where we are now. Uh, we got to keep moving along. Um, I know we got Tony uh, running out of time here, so let's uh, move on to uh, Tony. It's your number three, my friend. So Ray, Ray, is, uh, Ray is backup recording for you as well. So I'm going to give you my honorable mentions in my top three, and I got to go. I'm really sorry. I got a weird work schedule this week, uh, a couple overnights happening. I'd rather not be working overnight, but you know what? That's fine. Four-day work week. Anywho, uh, honorable mentions, Idiocracy. Uh, fine. Moon with Sam Rockwell, kind of a Stanley Kubrick-esque take on uh, humans in space. Uh, Transformers made this honorable mention for me my top three vanilla sky is number three um it's really interesting that penelope cruz re uh revisits a role she had already played in a in a take on this movie prior to it um very good interesting movie um uh <laughs> what's what's the blonde's name um i can't think of her name now um 
she played in a movie with Jim Carrey, um, The Mask. Um, yes. Cameron Diaz. Thank you. She has one of the most interesting lines in movie history. Go ahead and watch Vanilla Sky. Uh, Unbreakable made it all the way up to number two for me. Really loved it. My favorite M. Night Shyamalan movie. Um, just a great story. And number one for me, Wally. Nah, can't argue that. Um, yeah, would be surprised should. if you showed up on a family film or yep. two. All right, guys. So, be good. Sorry, I got a split. Uh, long live the bandwagon and the nerds. All right. Take it easy, man. Woo. All right. Since Tony mentioned it already, I do want to talk briefly about Unbreakable. It was my number five uh, before I do my number three. This, as a, as a lover of comic books and the medium, this, this movie is a love letter to comic books. Uh, twist or no twist. And back when Shyamalan didn't feel beholden to making every film he did have a twist. He still had creative ones. And this one was so great and was so true. Um, when you look at the genre, you know, whether it's that heroes and villains were often mirror images of each other to the, the just, it's all about the mythology of comic books and it's to every hero having a weakness, something that holds them back. Bruce Willis can't swim. Water is his weakness. He drowns. He, he sinks like like a lead weight. It's it's great. I loved it. It's creative. And, you know, Sab, you talked about movies that you would stop and watch if it's on. This is one I stop and watch when it's on, no matter what. And, you know, just seeing Samuel L. Jackson's character, Mr. Glass, trying to find a place in the world um, and, feeling, and, and finding it through comics and then recognizing it. What I have often believed, comics are a modern mythology and that's what unbreakable is all about is a modern mythology and where it's seeped in so that is my yeah that was my number three so it's nice to see m night Shyamalan kind of nerd out a little bit with uh <laughs> not just unbreakable but the the entire trilogy there you know just despite the other two maybe not being you know as high uh as of a quality of film but um, I, I thoroughly enjoy that movie as well. I, I don't know if I would necessarily uh, put it in my sci-fi, but I, it would definitely hold dear uh, in my my favorite movies of the 2000s. It's 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 funny because I don't even remember this movie coming out in the 2000s for whatever reason. You're and then and then I saw Split, and then I was and then I I was like, oh shit, there was a prequel to this. Um. And by the way, maybe you feel differently, but one of the best acting performances I've ever seen in my life is James McAvoy in Split. I, I, however you feel about the movie. To, right. to pull off no, that like... many personalities is, and all distinct is just amazing. Um, so yeah, shout out to M. Night Shyamalan and the whole trilogy. Even Glass was enjoyable, but Unbreakable is fantastic. Not since I've gone back and watched it. And I, to, yeah, it, I like the way you put it. To see him actually nerd out and just have fun for once was kind of cool right excellent all right so my number three uh we don't have to wait too long on pants uh on pan's labyrinth because pan's labyrinth was my number three um Guillermo del, Guillermo del toro um i don't know that you can say enough about how brilliant of a filmmaker he is uh and you know he he finally won his oscar with the shape of water and that was well deserved but Pan's Labyrinth, I thought he got robbed because it's 
you, people throw around the word like visually stunning all the time when talking about different stuff. And I'm going to throw it around a little bit later when we talk about Peter Jackson with my number one. But the the fact that that movie is basically all practical, like in terms of its effects and its costuming and its look. And, it, you know, I think you described it as, was it beautiful and tragic or something like that? Because it is. It's a sad, sad story. But is it a sad story? Like that's the thing that's that's kind of great is is this little girl who is in the middle of Civil War Spain and is caught, um, you, you know, and basically creating her own reality between fantasy and what's going on around her, um, and choosing choosing the fantastical world uh, of the labyrinth is it's remarkable and it's gorgeous and there there's just visuals from that that i will never unsee like the hands with the eyeballs in the center um being pale man for sure is just fantastic you just you can't the the fawn the fawn is is terrific too um you know and there is cgi like the fairies um that start as insects and become become fairies. Those are those are CGI. But the costuming and the like the puppetry, it shows just how great that medium can be and what can be done with it. So Pan's Labyrinth was my number three. Yeah, Pan's Labyrinth is just fucking wild. It's got a, got a lot of praise when it came out in two thousand six. It had a fucking twenty two minute standing ovation at Cannes, which you know. <laughs> Say, say what you want about that it being a little bit over the top, but it's really damn good. Six Academy Awards uh, nominations, winning three of them, uh, and all of them being in, uh, in, in, well, I should say all of them being in visual components, art direction, cinematography, and makeup. That right there just explains how whimsical this fantasy film is. Del Toro has always been someone with a fantastic okay. sense, at, the fantastic sense of the fantastical and it just shows in full force in this film and it's the perfect embodiment of his imagination yeah absolutely 1000 percent agree ray have you ever seen the film i feel like i have but i don't remember it you should rewatch it yeah it's i worth- need to because i know i i know i remember well no maybe i'm thinking of the original labyrinth is are that different movies very beautiful in its own right but yeah foreign film too that, that's yeah. how another reason you'll re, you would remember it okay okay you will you will have to do some reading there's there's subtitles involved that look I, I i will tell you that squid game got that out of me um because i was 100 percent, and i'm 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 open i like i'm open to say this because i want to show how you can change and learn and become better I was always against subtitled movies. Not that I didn't think they were good. I just didn't have the energy. I thought I had the energy to read. And then I watched Squid Game and I realized this is stupid. It's, I enjoy it just the same. Parasite, too, if you, if you haven't seen that. So pa- Squid Game makes me want to watch Parasite. I just haven't, ha- I just haven't put it on yet. But I, like, yep. I have it on the list to watch. Yes. Cool. All right. So let's move on to your number three, uh, Ray. It's, it's to you. My number three was Spider-Man. We're on number two. All right. Oh, we're on number two. So it's my number two. My number two is Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Um, uh, you know, you, we talk about series and you know, we talk about Star Wars. The Star Wars prequel trilogy just didn't didn't work for me. Harry Potter, uh, 
this is one of those series that I now have trouble with because separating the art from the artist, um, can, yeah. can take a time and JK yeah. Rowling is problematic, uh, and keeps doubling down on being problematic. And it's, it's, it's hard, but the films themselves, um, and I can even remember how I was introduced to Harry Potter. I was introduced to Harry Potter. I was student teaching back when I thought I was going to teach high school English. And everybody kept talking about these books. And I finally was like, okay, let's see what the big deal is. And I remember reading Sorcerer's Stone during prep periods and being like, wow, this woman writes a very clever book. Uh, her use of the English language was very clever. Like, you know, if she was steeped in Latin mythology, it was great. And when they started turning, you know, when they decided they were going to turn it into film, I was like, okay. Then you learn that they're going to do every single one of them. And they're different directors, and they're going to grow this movie up. And the Half Blood Prince, you get Alan Rickman being just his villainous best, even though at the end of the day he's not the villain. Like it, by the, by the seventh movie, you learn he's not the villain, but it's phenomenal. And at the time, the sense of betrayal is is unreal. And one of the most well done bits that they did is the end of the film after Dumbledore has died. And everybody is lifting their wands up to uh, to get rid of the dark mark, and it's it's just it's a very well done, it's a very moving scene, and and I loved it. So Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince is my number two. Fucking seven movies, bro. Jesus Christ. It's, Eight. Look at they split. They split seven into two parts. Oh, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's I, hard to. Uh, it's hard to. Uh, not acknowledge the cultural phenomenon that is Harry Potter, right? Uh, and, and again, that that right there, the lasting importance of it, regardless of how awful J.K. Rowling is, um, you know, it, it it's it's a an impactful series, uh, especially in the fantasy world. The the first time I ever had any interest in watching this movie has been recently. Because my daughter, my youngest daughter, has started reading the books. And so they had, for uh, New Year's, both of my girls had a Harry Potter marathon. And so I would go in on them and kind of watch with them. And like that's the first time I've enjoyed it. Because seeing their enjoyment made me enjoy it and made me get out of my own head to sit down and enjoy it and watch it. And it's it's very enjoyable stuff. Like I know what what house I'm a part of. I'm a Hufflepuff. Like I know, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Sure. So. Yeah, right. Yeah, if you know it, you know that you you would know that. Yes. Uh, but no, man. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. I hate that I never gave it a chance. Um, I like I'd much rather do Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings is just too fucking long. It's too much. <laughs> There's eight movies, dude. The the eight movies of Harry Potter is like the same amount of time as two Lord of the Rings movies. It's, it's really not, but okay. Um. <laughs> It, and it, you know something to be said too is that each movie does get better uh, yes. because they're kind of rough in those first couple movies. Well, I mean, Christopher Columbus, you know, of Home Alone fame, directed the first two, and you could just you could feel the footprints uh, of of or his fingerprints all over them. Like it is, it's very childlike and whimsical, and you know, some really famous people, famous directors like Alfonso Cuarón. Directed yeah. a Harry Potter movie. David That's Yates. That's the one I picked. That's what right. I had. Prisoner of Az- Azkaban. Azkaban. Yeah. yeah. Like, and, it, and he took it dark in a hurry. 
Um, but you're right. You're absolutely right. And as the kids kind of grew up and matured um, as actors, that makes a huge difference too, right? Like, you know, children. They literally were children, like, being educated on set, on on how to act. And you look at them now and you look at, you know, careers of, like, Emma Watson and Rupert Grant and, you know, most notably um, – what's his Daniel Radcliffe. Dan, Daniel Radcliffe. Makes some uh, bonkers movies, by the way. He does. I Yeah, I still haven't seen Guns Akimbo, and I need Wild. to. Wild. So fun. Can't, I can't wait to see it. So maybe I'll Swiss watch Army it. Army Man, too, if you haven't seen that. Yeah, I've, I've heard that. He's a dead body, right? Uh, a lifeless body, but he's not. Well, yeah, dead body. I should say he's, he's lifeless. <laughs> he, he's that's just such a wild movie. I, I it's hard to explain, really. <laughs> well, why don't you explain your number two for us and then move us forward as we head into the home stretch? Oh, that's uh, Ray's move. Yes, yeah, me. Oh, I thought you're. Oh, okay, you're number two. Drink. I'm look, man. It's just three of us now at this point, so we can kind of vacillate how you want. Um, my favorite genre of movies, other than the comic or superhero version, is disaster movies. I am a mark for disaster movies. I, the worse, the better. I love them all. My number two is The Day After Tomorrow. I, Mrs. O'Dowd would be thrilled to hear that you uh, you put that movie in there. Well, uh, she that's my girl. loves that movie. Like if it, you, you talk about something that if it's on, she watches Day After Tomorrow. Dennis, oh. Dennis Quaid walking through the the Arctic, New York. Yeah, she's so good, and it's so ridiculous, and it's so so much that is implausible. Like, yeah. Well, well, so I think that I it wouldn't happen in a day, right? I it would happen over a series of decades or hundreds of years, but for that shit to happen in a day is crazy. But I love the movie. I love the human element. I love that. I think that's why I love disaster movies because I like to see shit get fucked up and I like to see the human element show itself. And um, uh, them in the in the uh, library and the conversation they have of no, we're gonna we gotta go do this, and they're like no, you need to believe us. It's just I, I love it. I, I it's such a good movie to me. And um, you, you know, I think all of us in some form or fashion like to see the impossible be done. And this dumbass dad came all the way across the country in the middle of an ice age to just go make sure his son was alive. Crazy. But not, not city son, Jake Gyllenhaal. Who's yes, one yeah, Jake man, Jake Gyllenhaal is fantastic. So yeah, uh, day after tomorrow. Uh, this is by no means a bad thing when I say this. Just has some hokey goodness to it, doesn't it? Does it? Yes. Oh my God! It's so the wolves out of nowhere on the boat. Yes. What? Yes. It's so cheesy and hokey that the library scene. The library scene where they're all huddled around the fireplace as the cold snap (laughs) comes to get them. Like, yeah, destroying the books to stay warm. What? Yeah. It's 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 some good stuff. Yep. Oh, that's something special. All right. Now we're to Aesop and his number two. Yeah, and I, I, you brought it up earlier, Patrick. I'm so happy to put this 2001 Hayao Miyazaki film here, but Spirited Away. Uh, Spirited Away is easily my favorite film from the famous director and takes that 10-year-old girl who ventures into the spirit world of witches, ghosts, and gods. Yeah. 
to save her parents who more or less just get turned into pigs for being fat asses. <laughs> right. Well, and again, it's another one. It's a fairy tale allegory thing because she's a spoiled brat of a child who has to grow out of that to save her parents. Um, and yeah, like he's the he he's it for he's the gateway drug of anime in my opinion for like like if like because his his stuff his stuff is bonkers but not so bonkers that i'm not uncomfortable like showing it to my son yes like, I'm like hey watch ponyo because you're not like it's weird but you're not going to be like curled up in a ball being like what did i just see where why is there <laughs> going up that woman's ass like yeah. we don't have that and such a creative world that was built in just a singular setting in the bathhouse, right? Which yeah. each subsequent rewatch, I, I'm seeing new creatures to enjoy. Uh, Spirited Away, like you said, got me to start watching anime, and it reinforces how good Hayao Miyazaki is. And, uh, and now to hear that he's coming back for one more, give me this last yep. one and let it be amazing. Right. Sign me up. Um, Studio Ghibli, by the way, just... Um, Buy, buy stock. Watch it. Can I shout out the way that Aesop said, witchers, goblins, and gods. That I love that. Can we just cut that? The way you said that, it was just popping me so hard. Because um, we're going to have to do a lot of clipping, I think, to fix this Bandwagon Nerds podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> warning ahead of time. All right. Time for our number ones. We have, we've come to the end. Aesop, we start with you. I, I think both of our number ones are in the same realm. Uh, so I, I think we uh, we hit up Ray first and then come okay. back around. Okay. What's, what's your number one, my friend? The perfect disaster movie, the most perfect disaster movie ever made, 2012. <laughs> now, wait a second. Is that the one where John Cusack drives the limo away from Earth, like crumbling apart? It is the one. Hokey goodness. <laughs> that is something special. For sure. Oh but my! But it also, God. but it also has a lot of heart. He's a he's a a, a a a dad who's not there for his kids because they had a bad um, divorce, and you know he's a writer who wrote this book that only she would tell Okia for, who's like the 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 lead scientist to the president is read of all the people in the world. He's the only one, and yeah, man, it's it's just so cool and. Um, Praise on the real fears of people again, like the Y2K thing. Just it's just a such it's just such a good movie, man. I love it. It's it's so hokey and so enjoyable. And I could, if I could have made all all ten disaster movies, I would have. But y'all would have <laughs> laughed at me if I would have put like, you know, the the like the worst stuff ever. So, but shout out to 2012. Hey. No, I you you do you. It's your list. That's why we have your list. It'll be interested to see if it gets more than one vault on the bandwagon nerds poll when we put no, it up. No, I've already I've already accepted that. Like you've made I, your piece of that. Yes. So, as Aesop noted, our number ones uh, come out of the Lord of the Rings realm. I'm assuming I put Return of the King um, just because it's the final one. It won Best Picture. Uh, I but honestly, if I were to say the one that I like to watch the most is really Fellowship of the Ring. Um, is is the one I enjoy the most, but I don't ever watch one without watching all three. So it, yes, and that's I, why I could not pick one. I had to put the Lord of the Rings trilogy here. 
it's That's impossible. A whole damn weekend. That's a whole but, damn weekend, y'all. Watching especially if you go with the extended editions, because then you're looking at you know three Half three. That's that's ten hours of uh, of entertainment right there. It's a day, it's a day for sure. I mean, it's the it's the pinnacle of fantasy perfection, right? There there is so much like and I and I've read the books, obviously. Um, I don't actually hold the books um, as dear to my heart as some people do uh, because, frankly, like. Yes, there's there's great stuff in, in there, but some of Tolkien's writing is also kind of boring. It's like George R. R. Martin. Like George R. R. Martin spends an inordinate amount of time writing about food. Like if you ever read one of the the Game of Thrones series books, uh, uh, Song of, of Fire and Ice or whatever, Ice and Fire, there's a lot of just people sitting down and eating. There's a lot of like song and lyrical stuff, and it is intrinsic to fantasy writing. So I don't want to say that it's not. But like I'm not. I'll, I'll say this: some people are a Tom Bombadil fan. Other people think it's a waste of time. Uh, I'm in the latter court. Like I'm like, okay, <laughs> can we just go. Can we just stop with Tom Bombadil singing about something? Forever, <laughs> forever. And the Two Towers gets kind of slow too, like in, in the midst there. But Peter Jackson took these epic novels and did what I didn't think was going to be easily done uh, and brought it all to life. And some of the moments in that trilogy are, are the small things like that. He just gives proper respect and honor to that makes fans happy. For example, the first time you see shadow facts show up in that movie, it's, it's amazing. Like it's, it's beautiful, slow motion. It's gorgeous. When, um, when the ants take down Isengard, it's it's awesome when the Rohirrim show up to to help save Gondor. Fuck! Before that, when Gandalf and Pippin ride into Gondor, I was at the theater at midnight and I was like, "This is one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen put on a screen." This was the it was the, the scope, the epic, the magnificence of it all. Was everything, and Peter Jackson is probably the only person who could have made those movies. Peter Jackson took an already amazing concept and created a juggernaut in the industry. I'm so freaking excited for the new Amazon series coming later this year. I re- read all the books and can love, for the most part, how they stick to the source material, which I have stressed this entire time how important th- that is for me. Uh, I own the special collector's edition for this trilogy. I watch each extended version on a yearly basis. Each of the three original movies were nominated for Best Picture with Return of the King actually winning that award. Granted, that year was trash, but you know they beat Sky Ca- Captain in the World of Tomorrow, for God's sakes. But include that in 30 nominations and 17 wins at the Academy Awards means this fantasy tale is easily choice for number one on this list and i better stop now because i can talk lord of the rings all day it's the granddaddy of them all in the world of fantasy but look at how much inspiration it's it's caused in other things right we just talked about it earlier today with the witcher right oh absolutely thousand percent those are terrible pictures that year my god oh it's bad sea biscuit mystic river it's bad 
Yeah. So I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm just I had to look that up. My goodness. Well, and and what's really interesting about Return of the King winning Best Picture is it really was a culmination and a pat on the back for three three movies. Yeah, because it got yeah, nominated. Yeah. Like all three of them got nominated for Best Picture, and it was it was largely a assumption that Return of the King was going to be the one that won it. Um, Howard Shore's score um, for all three movies is is amazing. The cast is ridiculous. Hey, you're right. I could talk on this for hours, and we just can't. Do y'all but, put Lord of the Rings on this? Do you put the Hobbit on the same the Hobbit tri- trilogy on the same level? No, Hobbit is a bloated, overdone book because it really should have been one movie. Like it, it, it's, it's, it it was an unfortunate attempt to make an epic where an epic wasn't needed. Yeah. Uh, If they, if they had stuck to one book, it would or one movie that was three hours long. We'd probably have a very good movie. You could have done it with the Cimmerillion, uh, which again, that's what Amazon is trying to do. But like the Cimmerillion is is vast the hobbit is is not uh and you know what though even if it was even if it was that good um it it wouldn't have the same impact because it's it was so long after this trilogy and for what they did at that time you know this is they released three epics from 2001 to 2003 every year they released one of these things and for him to have the level of quality for each one of those is astounding, especially in 2001. Right. I, uh, I 1000% agree. Like it's, it was so far ahead. Uh, and, and you can see it's, it's influence as to where we are now and, and will continue to influence. So, all right, fellas, that's going to do it for round one of the op project. I'm going to leave it up to you guys in Patrick's pitch. Oh, do you want to know Dave's list? I was going to ask you what was Dave's at least if it, I want to know the whole list, but at least so, number one. All right, well, I'll give you I'll give you um, his was Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring was his number one. Okay. So his uh, his top ten number ten was Moon, number nine was Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl, number eight was District Nine, number seven would have been an honorable mention on my list. Just missed it was Serenity, the Joss Whedon flick, um, space western, uh, heavily influenced by. Number six was the Star Trek reboot. Number five was Avatar. Number four was the Minority Report. Number three was Star Wars Episode Three. Number two was Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, just like me. And number one was Lord of the Ring, Fellowship of the Ring. So there you have it, Dave's list. Patrick's pitch, I'm going to hand it over to you two. It's less of a pitch and more of a vote. So next week, do we cover sports films, horror films, or family slash kids movies. We'll choose one of those three. Huh. Well, can I make my pitch? Make your pitch. Um, a lot of us in this one category today had films that fell into family animation, family slash animation and horror. Nobody touching anything sports wise. So why don't we go sports? I can get behind that. Any objection? I'm just here for the fun, so I'll do whatever anyone wants to do. All right, there you have it, folks. Next week, it's sports, 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 sports. We will be doing the top sports films of the aughts. 
that's going to do it for this week's edition of Bandwagon Nerds. Gentlemen, thank you for spending some extended time with us today. Hopefully, Ray and I can talk and figure out how we're going to piece together a recording because um, my recorder did totally crap out. So we'll have to see what Tony has because I don't think Ray got the whole thing. I think he started recording when Tony left. So we'll have to do some splicing. Might mean that you're getting a later edition of Bandwagon Nerds than usual. But on our way out the door, why don't we tell everybody where they can find us out there in the uh, interwebs? And we'll start this week with the Reverend Ray Cash. Um, you can find me at Avatar is a fake ass fern gully, otherwise known as at its Ray Cash, R E Y is Mysterio C A S H as in dollars, and everywhere on the chairshot.com. Excellent. Mr. Mitchell. Yeah, sure. Find me on Facebook under ASAP Mitchell, uh, A E S O P Mitchell. You can also find me on uh, uh, Twitter. I have two different Twitter accounts. You can either find me at uh, Violent ASAP or you can find me at Dave and Cudahy. Uh, also, look for me on uh, Instagram, too, the Cream City Traveler. Uh, also, quick honorable mention, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is much yes. better than people give it credit for. Yes. The movie that drove Sean Connery out of acting. Oh, excellent, excellent choice. That's I love good. that movie. I do. Yeah. I love that movie. Stop um, boring, great. Nice. All right. You can follow me on the Twitter at Wrestling Realist. That is at W-R-E-S-T-L-N-G-R-E-A-L-I-S-T. As I mentioned before, we will have a poll up on the Bandwagon Twitter account with all of our number ones so that you can vote what you think is the number one science fiction and fantasy uh, film of the aughts. Uh, you need to do that by following Bandwagon Nerds, and that is at Bandwagon Nerds. Nothing fancy there. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. That's going to do it for our show. Now get yourself out of the basement, get some sun, and watch some science fiction and fantasy, maybe some Lord of the Rings. You've been listening to Bandwagon Nerds on the Chairshot Radio Network, a part of the Chairshot.com.